This episode is supported by the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase the self-esteem in young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex, yeah, Shane? let's start the episode. Let's get to it. Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 62. 62, big episode. It's always a big episode, I feel like. I feel like we're just on a real good roll. No, some episodes aren't big, but they're good. <laughs> I feel like this one is big for some reason. I don't know, I feel like Sasha Exeter has become so, so popular. So for those of you who don't know, Sasha Exeter is a former pro athlete. She is a current lifestyle blogger, one of the most popular in Canada, and she's an ambassador for Joe Fresh. And you had been telling me for the longest time Mm -hmm. to get her on the podcast. And what happens often, I find, is you will tell me somebody's good yeah get them and then i'll become a huge fan of them and before you know it i want them on the podcast more than you even initially did so of course the day i go to email her she was embroiled in this controversial thing i don't know how to what do you call it yeah so another influencer tv personality jessica mulrooney had you know negatively reacted to a post that that Sasha had done on Black Lives Matter that eventually escalated to Jessica allegedly going after Sasha's livelihood and libel suits and it, it was a really ugly situation based in white privilege so of course every media outlet was messaging her for a comment on this and I just wanted her on the podcast before all of this happened yeah so you know, we I didn't hear back for a little bit because things had to die down. And then when I did hear back, the timing wasn't right. So now, what is this, November? We got her. Yeah. We have her on the <laughs> podcast. Later. I couldn't be happier. We do address the aforementioned issue, which I have to give her credit because she wasn't really talking about this in the press. I think for the most part, she felt she said everything she needed to say in her post where she addressed it the first time. But we felt that it might be strange if we avoided it entirely. So we do talk about it for a few minutes in the interview, and I have to thank her for trusting us as she has not spoken to any other media outlets that I know of about this issue. So, yeah, we're very honored. No, Sasha is incredibly gracious and incredibly sweet and incredibly motivating. So I I do know that you will love this interview. And following Sasha, we have Topsy Vandenbosch, who is a mindset coach who is out to help you destroy negative thought patterns that are toxic to your success. And I think whether you are a woman, whether you're in a career, whether you're a man, whether you're a mother, whether you are a single younger girl, we all suffer from toxic thought patterns and just becoming more conscious of this kind of thing I think can really help us out. Topsy is so great for that discussion. Yeah, toxic thought patterns. That's something I've realized recently. I suffer from 
the most. I'm the type of person who always somehow thinks they're the best <laughs> and the worst. And it's such an interesting dichotomy, duality, whatever the proper word may be. But for instance, I just played tennis today. And in my mind, I should win at everything. I can never lose and accept that. And I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not the best at anything. And when I don't book Brad Pitt on this podcast, I f I'm mad at Brad. As I, you should be. I What's wrong with you, Brad? I feel like that's a really tough way to live because it just makes you constantly have high expectations and then come crashing down and then you feel unworthy and then like you're not good enough. So do you think that this causes more disappointment in your life than it's worth? Of course, it's not worth mm -hmm. it at all. It's toxic. It's a toxic thought pattern. Like, you know, you, we've been yeah. together for quite a while and I'll get into NBA Jam for a week and then I'll enter, like NBA Jam's a video game for Sega Genesis, which was a popular system when I was in my teenage years. But then I'll enter a worldwide competition and feel like I should be number one. And then I come home getting fourth place, which is amazing. And I'm sad. True story, by the way. Yeah, and I'm like this with any ping pong tournaments, anything, and booking guests on the podcast, I'm like that too. If someone turns me down, I don't care if it's Meryl Streep, I'm I'm upset if she says no. I know. Well, I'm like, this is this Family Tree podcast. Are you kidding? We'd have a great conversation, Meryl. Come on and give us a chance. But Shane, let me give you a toast tonight. Here's to not booking Meryl or Brad Pitt. Perfect segue. We'll get there. Cheers, babe. So tonight we are drinking a little concoction I made up. This is called Alex's Winter Punch. Does it taste a little Christmassy? Slightly. All right. I was hoping for slightly more Christmassy, but I've done three parts cranberry ginger ale, three parts fever tree tonic water, two parts Seedlip Grow 42, and then I have topped it off with a sprig of rosemary. Always like the sprig. It just makes it really feel fancy. It's, it is tasty, this one. And it looks like Christmas. It's a red cup, and then the little sprig of green looks like a pine tree needle. It is. Yeah. But Alex, we do we have to talk faster on this podcast? That's my first topic. I think that we speak slowly sometimes, and I think that we are prone to meandering. And like not just like meandering in our thoughts, but meandering in our words. Like, you know, Shane, I just... I think that we do this sometimes. That's an example. But I think that we do that. Listening back, have you noticed that we speak slowly? I noticed I do. I find I have like a, a drawl or something. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm listening to you, I'm in my head just thinking, hurry it up, Shane. Like, fucking hurry it up. Like, come on. Are you? Yeah. So sometimes. I'm the annoying one on this podcast. Well, you're annoying to me, but that's because I work with you and live with you and I'm your wife. Uh, but I'm probably annoying on this podcast for a myriad of other reasons. So... Yeah, don't worry about that. I'm just saying, I think we should, you know, pick it up a little bit energy-wise. Like maybe we chug a monster energy drink before we record. Uh, it's interesting you say that. What I found our problem is we turned Friday night into a night where we drink real alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that makes us a little bit sluggish come Saturday night. True. So yesterday I said, I'm not drinking Friday night. So <laughs> I'm going to be a lot faster like Micro Machines guy. I don't want to bore everyone. So here I am talking even, fast. Even in your your fast talking, Shane. So I don't want to bore anyone. I want to talk fast. You've got a drawl. It's interesting. I've never really noticed your drawl until now, and it's it's kind of it's, it's charming in a way. 
Yeah, it's, I was obsessed with Owen Wilson when I was young. And, you know, we just had a podcast person on who moved to England from mm-hmm. Toronto and developed a an English accent. And I feel like maybe I've adapted a Owen Wilson style slow speech. <laughs> or uh, And people also say Dak Shepard, who has a slower, interesting way of talking. But I'm trying to get rid of it for entertainment's sake. But because uh, you listen to the podcast when you when you do your write ups for the podcast, well, you listen to it at double speed. So I listen to when I do the write ups, I listen to our podcast every week at one and a half speed. And it's funny to me because Shane and I sound like we are speaking at a perfectly normal pace when I do that. Yet then all of our guests sound extra fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how is it that our guests sound extra fast, but you and I sound normal? Are we speaking that slow? So listeners. If we're slow talkers, tell us. And now if we're going too fast, I'm a little self-conscious about that too. So let us know. And okay, wait, wait. Now I got to talk fast. (laughs) Speaking of people liking the pot or not, I would like to give a sincere thank you to everyone who gave us five-star ratings because now we went from being totally out of the algorithm. What is an algorithm? It, well, there's this list. It's It's called Chartable, Apple Top 100 Podcasts. And we were out of the top 100. We were out. (laughs) my hype man flava alex now the podcast hasn't changed at all we just did a simple play to ask for some five-star ratings we were kind of begging and now we're the number 17 podcast in the world or something it helps in the world maybe in canada i don't know maybe it's only parenting subgenre it helps a ton it does help a ton so nothing changed about the pod but you did make the pod seem like it's better which will attract other people to it which will get us better guests which will make us famous and rich hopefully (laughs) because beforehand we were in a section that was just you know murderers and bad people but (laughs) murderers and bad people i don't know but you'd assume if they have a podcast outside of the top 100 right it must be murderers but now we're with the winners and you know i have a complex i I, I need to win so i just wanted to thank everyone so keep these ratings and comments coming because it's it's seriously helping us like it it really seriously truly helps (laughs) it does (laughs) just the double seriously it's funny to me (laughs) i want to drive it home but it seriously uh seriously seriously helps what else we got here i have a topic okay if you don't have okay so i had an appointment with betty this week we did our four-month vaccination and when i was there the nurse was doing a little wellness check on me and you know just asking how I was doing with the stress because we are going through a pandemic things are very tough right now and you know she just asked me like everything okay like with your relationships are you you know I I know her pretty well and I said yeah no everything's going great and she was mentioning to me that how during this pandemic she's seeing in her patients a lot of new pregnancies and a lot of divorces and separations. And I went home and I was thinking about that because I know Shane and I had spoken about that before, like, you know, made offhand jokes like, oh, there's going to be a lot of people getting divorced during this time, being home with each other so much. And I did look it up. And in the U.S. alone, I'm not sure the Canadian numbers are harder to find, but there's been a 34% increase in divorce during this pandemic. And there's been a 70% increase in inquiries about it, like calling to lawyers' offices and things like that. So it is a huge factor right now for a lot of couples. And I think that's mostly because, you know, like if you have an unhappy but stable relationship, you're away from each other enough during the week to like be okay with it. But then the second you're forced to really come to terms with 
the things that make you unhappy, then it can get obviously very difficult and bring people to a breaking point. And Shane, you and I were talking the other day, we were trying to think, would we have many issues or many arguments or disagreements if we weren't business partners? So I guess what I want to know is, do you think that the business issues and the business, um, what do you call it? In hurry, the bus- hurry, and hurry. the business arguments. I'm kidding. <laughs> My heart started racing. But do you think that the business arguments are distracting from marriage arguments? Or do you think that if we weren't business partners, we would just be like hunky-dory happy? Well, I think if you were with another partner who had a more normal nervous system, you would be hunky-dory. But the fact is, I have toxic thought patterns. And no matter what, I'll find a way to create problems and I am the problem when it comes to arguments because I'm so looking for something to obsess about and be the best do you think in my research because I was reading up about this this week do you think that you're a high conflict person because there is such thing as a high conflict person and there's something called like this isn't the right term but it's like high conflict disorder where they're Mm. constantly looking for something because it kind of keeps them going that kind of conflict I don't think I'm like seeking drama. Like I I know some people do seek drama. Mm -hmm. Usually they're cast on reality shows with this this type of personality. But I am a a person of discontent, if that makes sense. So I am. That's so depressing. I know. (laughs) I, I know it is. And it's hard for me to reach true happiness. I'm always looking for something. See, that's, that's, that's awful. And that pains me to hear because what an awful way to live. Because I'm a person that honestly, I'm just happy coasting and no problems and, you know, doing everything kind of halfway even just to live comfortably and without much stress. I know. I have something about me. I always feel like a loser, especially when I'm losing. So it's, it's the chip on your shoulder then. Chip on my shoulder. Um. feel like I need to prove something. What What am I trying to prove? I don't know. If I win this NBA Jam tournament, will dad love me? I don't know. I don't know if dad even cares about NBA Jam. Like, it's funny. Like, your brother and I were joking uh, with, uh, you know, I, it was started as a joke. Then I actually started to take it seriously that whoever wins the game today, because I was playing your brother, Jake, mm. would win your dad's love. <laughs> And of course, it's like 90% a joke. But I'm like, in a way, in this like weird part of my mind, I'm like, John probably would respect me more if I beat Jake. Or you think, oh, that, that's cool. Well, he does think Jake could have been a tennis pro. So if you beat Jake, the could be, would be tennis pro, then that makes you a would be tennis pro and a formidable athlete who John could respect. Exactly. So, you know, these things run through my mind. And then I'm totally. Even if I beat Jake today, there'd be a modicum of happiness and it would be so fleeting and then it would be back to, well, now we have to be the number one whatever in the world. Mm-hmm. Or if we weren't doing this podcast or a business, we'd need the to have, I'd be renovating the basement in some crazy way and thinking about, <laughs> like, I wouldn't be doing it, but I'd be hiring people and trying Planning to, it. Yeah. So... I am a tough person to live with. I hope, uh, you know, I, I apologize for that. No, that's all right. So this this whole notion really intrigues me, though. And I really hate that you feel that way, Shane. I, I do want to work on that with you. I don't know if that's like somebody you need to talk to, like therapist-wise, or that's something we can do together. But I want to ensure that you can get to a happy 
place, right? And find, find, be The jello might be, be set too much. No, Shane, we can mess around with your brain, okay? We're going to mm-hmm. fix it. Because um, another thing I came across that interested me was from the Gottman Institute. And it said that 69% of, yeah, 69, sorry. I thought I was imagining that number just because it's funny. But it's 69% of marriage problems are unsolvable. And it just comes down to, you know, nuances in your partner's personality. And you, they will literally never be solved. So when it comes down to conflict in a marriage, it is basically just management and mitigation. And yeah. knowing that all these things are unsolvable, do you think that would change your perspective of conflict or like seeking conflict in any way? No, I look at myself as a problem solver, so that would probably frustrate me more. But I am always trying to mitigate things in our relationship. And, you know, we just had a a date night Mm -hmm. this week. We're trying to do Wednesday date nights. And as you and I both know, it went terribly wrong. And it (laughs) it was one of the worst nights of our entire week. And it's supposed to be the best night. Two weeks ago, it was the best night of the week. And then last week was just... A flop. And I guess it, it goes hand in hand with expectations. We had high expectations for it. Maybe put too much pressure on ourselves. For me, I like to get the movie on date night started at 9 p.m. Not the date night itself. The date night itself starts before 9. That's right. with the dinner, right. which hopefully can happen as the second we put the kids to bed. We'll order something nice. That's key. It gets you in that relaxing mode. And then hopefully the movie can start at 9 because if you start the movie at 9, if it's an hour and a half long movie to hour 45 minutes, you get to bed by 10.45 and then you make passionate love. Exactly. But it it depends on that timing and it's such a delicate ecosystem and everything kind of needs to work. And if one thing's off, it has the potential to blow up in your face. And it blew up in our face. So what happened was... Normally, I do promos for the podcast that I kick out to Alex. Usually, it's on a Thursday or Friday I do that. This week, I was a little ahead of schedule, so I wanted to do the promos Mm -hmm. on Wednesday. I give you the promos, and what you do is you write little captions, kick them out to the internet. But sometimes it does take a little bit for you to kick out the promos and come up with the captions. It's stressful. It's stressful because you want to do it right. You want to get all the words down properly. You want to make everybody happy, and you want to, you know, get the listeners pumped up about the pod. So it it takes a significant amount of time. It does. So I underestimated how long it would take you to do that because i gave you the promos at about eight twenty oh after God. we had our decadent meal and then it's after nine i'm like come on are the promos coming out and you're like well i had them up but then i took them down i'm like why did you take them down you're <laughs> like i screwed made a spelling error and then i did a swipe up and i shouldn't have done it and it was a little tense and then my behavior when something's late is a little snippy which alex doesn't like so i i tried to just keep it moving and start the movie at 9 30 mm-hmm. but you wanted to have a conversation about. I can't. I can't sit there through um through Kajillionaire and. It was a good movie. It, it was a great movie, but I can't sit there through it and not think about these things. Like they're just they're gonna weigh so heavily on me. So I just I want to get it off my chest so that we can actually relax and enjoy ourselves. Otherwise, it's just gonna but here's build the up thing, and build Alex, up in resentment. Your conversations to get you relaxed it takes you forever, and I know. You care way more about the sex than you do the conversation. So this. So let's axe the movie. Conversation, sex. 
the movie ended up being pretty good and we weren't and I knew we weren't going to axe it. And then if we axe the movie then all of a sudden I'm I'm down in the dumps cuz then I'm feeling like <laughs> we didn't check off all the 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 ticks on the boxes. So you wanted to have this long conversation. We do. We start the movie. Then you get into the wine. You got into the wine as well. Oh, I got into the wine, but what I'm saying is you had some adverse effects from that alcohol. So you- did you is what I'm saying. Okay, so <laughs> I was laughing at you because you were talking funny, and then you, I was tired because I was drunk too, and my <laughs> ears were hearing funny. So I'm laughing at you, and you get really upset. Why are you laughing? Well, I, I, first of all, that's not how I said it, and secondly, yes, I did get upset. Cause I was trying to talk to you seriously, and you kept giggling like a little schoolgirl, and it was so annoying because I was trying to tell you my feelings. So I go to the kitchen to make another drink. And you go, so? And then you just stop talking. And I start howling in the kitchen. And you're like, why are you laughing? I'm like, oh, because you started a sentence and then just didn't say anything. Like, because, because I started the sentence and I didn't finish it because I just thought that there was no point and I was just going to try to get over it because you were like a 10-year-old. So I was just going to try to get over it. But then you reacting like that made me even more pissy. Made you very hot. And then you said something very mean to me, which totally ruined the night. And I was okay, like, I, I and I was like, Alex, like shame. this night was mildly disruptive. To and you, but my night was already half ruined. Okay, but then you went and went way too mean and well, full ruined it. Well, you're coming down with me, babe. Well, I don't I'm just think... joking. That's not a good way to do it. That's not a good way to handle arguments, and I handled it poorly. Yeah, I didn't think it was nice, so then date night got ruined, and then we had to make up for it the next night, but since we were a little out of sorts because the alcohol the next mm-hmm. day at our age and lack of sleep gets you in a hole. You're in a deficit, a mood deficit. So then the next night to dig yourself out of the mood deficit, we, we had to, to drink. we had to drink even more. <laughs> but but it was a success and that, you know, date night extended was so much fun. Yeah, it was good, but it did kind of mess with my serotonin levels and <laughs> I was running on low fuel in terms of those happiness ions you need to succeed. See, for me, and this is where we're different, it just, it bumped me up and I was just totally happy again. And I've been riding that happiness since. I know, because sex does something to you that I wish it did to me. It like fuels you where you're like, I don't know, Mary Poppins or something in the next day. I feel like Mary Poppins. And I'm Who sings The Hills Are Alive? It's not Poppins. No, that's a the <laughs> other one. Of music. Yeah, I always mix up bed knobs and broomsticks, the sound of music and... Mary so Poppins. I'm I'm Fraulein Maria. Whatever you said, yes. And you're dancing around, but for me, I'm just like, ugh. You're like that after drinking or after sex? Well, after drinking. Mm-mm. But after sex, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, the next day, lost your tennis game against my dad because you weren't feeling good. Yeah, so that was another domino that fell off and... You know, your dad can be gloating a little bit. And he is, your dad is 60. And he'll be like, ha the old man beat you. And we're in like this, I'm in this text message group with your brother. And your dad's <laughs> like, ha I haven't played in a while and I still beat Shane. And I'm 60, ha, ha, ha. And, and my knee needs to be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, like, you know, your dad won athlete of the year when he was in high school. So I'm like, 
in my mind, that shaves 10 years off his biological age. So he's right. really 50. I'm almost 40. He's a super athlete. I'm like a schlub. The fact that I even came close to beating him is a victory in itself. But it's hard to explain that to your dad. I tried to via text. <laughs> And then I'd like, I'm like, I'll show him. I'll beat Jake today, which is your brother. And I, I lost. So You my, lost today? Uh, Shane, uh, I thought you won. Alex, why do you think I'm so pissed at you? <gasps> this explains so much. It explains so much. Because I, I was asking you. I, I asked you a couple of times once we came home. And you just acted like you didn't hear me. But I was like, oh, I said that loud enough. And then I just, I didn't think about it too much. I thought you won, Shane. No, I should have. Your brother has the shittiest, wimpiest serve in the world. I should have beat him. But he played amazing defense. And his, I'm and I was I, My serotonin levels have been off. And my, <laughs> it, tennis is a confidence game, okay? There was a 10-minute period in that tennis game where I swear I was unstoppable. And then Lou would walk on the court and we'd have to pause for a minute and then I'd start thinking in my own head. I don't want to get into it. This isn't a tennis podcast, but it's very fitting with, <laughs> with Sasha Exeter. Anyway, next date night is hopefully going to be a lot better. We also missed our meditation on Sunday. We did. So I want to meditate this tomorrow. Yep, absolutely. I want to have a date night on Wednesday. I want to have a reading night in the week. I'm adding. Oh, my God. I would love that. We say this, but we have to do it. We're always, we're all talk. We are the biggest all talk people in the world. We are. We are. Okay. So what night, what night's a good reading night? Thursday. Thursday. Perfect. And also, what do you think about this for a new bedtime? Mm -hmm. 1030. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm into bed earlier. Like crazy shit. Except for date night. Date night can go later. Mm -hmm. But every other night, we're in bed by 1030. Weekends, do whatever you want. 100%. And I wonder if it's going to help our mindsets throughout the day. Or it will, it'll obviously help our levels of irritability. But I wonder if it'll take you from a medium to high conflict person to a medium to, you know, mid-medium conflict person. Well, pillow talk, I find, is underrated when we're just mm. having that half hour, extra half hour to chat. And we do have a few laughs by the pillow. No, I, you know what? That's the most relaxing time of the day for me is when we're lying in bed and just like Betty shares a room with us. So we're whispering. And it, I think that adds an element of fun to it, too, because I feel like we have to be really quiet or else we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, it's like Betty when you're crying. in school and you can't laugh, mm. you want to laugh more. And we, we have had some pretty good laughs. <laughs> And yeah, I think it's underrated pillow talk. It's like socks at Christmas. I, I need. I think socks it's the right most now. underrated gift, and pillow talk's the most underrated activity you can do with your partner. It's true. It's true. That's a good point, Shane. Well, shall we to Sasha? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's get to Sasha. I must say, there is a moment of—is it called white tears? There's a slight moment of white tears. I just want to acknowledge that we oh, know. Oh God! Oh God! I thought we cut that. We, no. we, I mitigated it, you know, life's about mitigation or whatever. Oh, it was awful. So yeah, that's a big no-no these days. And we learn that through BLM and a lot of times, you know, you want to cry because you feel bad for a situation. Yeah. But you were talking about black Here, students. Here's, here's and, the, whenever, whenever I talk about marginalized students, I just, I, I've gone through so many experiences with my students and I cannot help but get teary-eyed and emotional and the time for that is not during an interview when I am talking to a black woman it's not an interview 
you know, where we're having conversation about race at all because then I'm centering myself and how I feel about it. But I just, I couldn't help it. And this is a part of the learning and getting better process, I hope. Yeah. I did cut it a lot, but you will hear your voice <laughs> oh go a little like, at one moment. And the reason her voice goes, is because she was crying. I just want to acknowledge that it, we, we tried to mitigate it because we acknowledge that is not cool these days. And no. we're, we're learning and evolving the best we can. Mm -hmm. And I also want to say we do, we talk about her handbags. She's coming up with a handbag line. Those sold out in like two minutes. Yes. So, you know, don't hold your breath if you're waiting for those. Not sure if she's <laughs> restocking, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because we do talk about the handbags, but I think they gone. But before we get to our interview with Sasha, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like so, so hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. It's easy. You just get Hello Bello. <laughs> it's true. Hello Bello is co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard and is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun, rotating designs that are super adorable and Lucy is absolutely obsessed with. I think I love them more than even the kids. I think it's possible. Too bad they don't come in outside, Shane. Each yet, yet. <laughs> Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off of any of the add-ons like the bubble bath, the wipes, or the diaper rash cream. And I would highly suggest the diaper rash cream. How do you get 15% off though? You just add it. Oh. Yeah, it's easy. Super easy. Add it then. <laughs> so to get Hello Bello's super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That is a huge bang for your buck and lots of potential blowout saved. And is this Canada and United States or just Canada? This is Canada only. Okay, so just a reminder that it's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. So don't forget that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. So if you are listening to this and you haven't used it yet, and you have a child in diapers, what are you doing with your life? But we are also supported by... The Medela Pump and Style Double Electric Breast Pump. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't it Medela? No, it's Medela. I did my research. And this is not just a breast pump. It is a piece of serious high-tech equipment. The new MaxFlow vacuum technology combined with Personal Fit Flex breast shields provide effective stimulation and comfort, allowing for 11.8% more milk faster than pumps with a 90-degree breast shield. You got all that, Shane? I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> and the modern and compact design make it easy to carry and convenient so you're not like lugging around your milk sucker. So this is a heavy piece of machinery, isn't it? Well, in theory and in effectiveness, but not in convenience. The pump in style is equipped with Medela's two-phase expression technology that mimics your baby's suction. So this pump is designed for frequent daily use and combined with a dual expression is proven to express more milk in less time, which saves up to two hours a day, and it helps to build and maintain milk production, making it the best alternative for shared feedings or when breastfeeding is not an option. You can buy the pump in style double electric breast pump at medilaboutique.ca. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytreegift, you're going to receive an easy expression boostier for free, which is a $48 value. 
So again, that is medilaboutique.ca and this family tree gift. This is Canada only. And again, that is medilaboutique.ca and this family tree gift for your easy expression, bustier. Wow, Alex. Well, you're like Cardi B the way you're articulating these words. I really am (laughs) impressed by you. So pick that up. It sounds like it's amazing. I've never used one. I doubt a man can. But let's get to our interview with Sasha Exeter. Sasha, thank you so, so much for sitting down with us today. We have been so excited for ages to have this conversation with you. And I just, I love asking people when we do get them on the podcast, especially when you are so successful in so many facets, what do you say your job description is if somebody is going to ask you that? That is a work in progress. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. I think it all depends on who I'm speaking to. So like I read my audience. So I really, to be honest, have a very difficult time with the word influencer. And I feel mm-hmm. like those individuals use it usually aren't really ones that are influencing anything. And I feel like Yes, I I influence it, but I think that's just a byproduct of me just telling stories and being open and yeah. honest and sharing my life with my followers. And I'm also just so much more than that. I'm a very creative person. I have an extensive experience and background in corporate, which I use to bring to my job now to help consult. And I never really talk too much about the consulting work that I do behind the scenes, but it's a big part of my job away from social media and my website. So I would say content creator, storyteller, spokesperson, athlete, mom, <laughs> no, absolutely. And when you when you talk to people, like even your immediate friends and family, you know, so many people don't get the work that goes into content creation. You are the director, you're the producer, the editor, the stylist, so many hours. And do you think people even that are close to you sometimes underestimate what you do? A hundred percent. I don't think it was until this year and probably not until COVID happened where my immediate family and friends kind of understood and they were like, holy shit. Can I swear on this? Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Say whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) (laughs) I am lucky. I have a pretty phenomenal like supporting cast around me. So I, I had the same stylist for the last four years and she happens to be my best friend. I do have a team of three photographers and two videographers that I work with, but because I'm a producer as well, my hands are obviously entangled with them every step of the way. So um, I need to work on delegating a bit more, but yeah, I think they finally understand how much goes into the work now. Do you feel like this is a stable job? Like I used to feel like, oh, this side project that we're doing the podcast, oh, if it was ever our full-time gig, man, would that be scary. Then the pandemic hits and it almost felt like to me, wow, this is one of the only jobs I actually feel comfortable in because my full-time gig felt like it could just go away at any time. How comfortable do you feel as an influencer? I actually, for the first time ever in my life, feel the most stable and secure. And um, I think that just comes down to the fact that I'm my own boss and the type of work that we're in, like I'm able to scale up if I need to or 
bring things down if I need to pay more attention to my child. Um, and maybe also because of the type of content that I produce. Like I, when COVID hit, I just thought about all my friends that are in the travel business, like travel writers, and like they're considered creators in, in social media landscape, but their life right now is very different from what I'm doing. So, but yeah, I think the security just comes in um, being a full balance and lifestyle content and sharing more about my life and working with brands that organically fit into my existing life. Yeah. Right. Now, how did you envision your life uh, working out for you? Because at a young age, you were obviously a high performance athlete. And I, like, I wasn't a high performance. I, I envisioned myself being in the NBA, you know, to me, that, that felt really, really? <laughs> yeah, I thought oh. I was going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for you, like, what, what was your dream and aspiration? Was it being that pro tennis player or was that not realistic? And you thought, oh, I'm going to be a dentist. Being pro. I mean, you know what? I had the talent to go to that level. That was never really my end goal or my dream. And now that I'm older, I feel like maybe that not really wasn't my goal. It was, wasn't my parents' goal. I come from immigrant parents and usually immigrant parents are just driving home the whole point of education. Okay. Do whatever you want, Big but time. get that degree first. So I just thought of tennis as a tool and that tool was to help get me a full scholarship so I can graduate without having student debt. I just wanted the free education. And then after that, I knew I could do whatever. Um, I studied international business. I first wanted to become a lawyer. And then I figured that I was going to do exactly what I ended up doing, working in brands and marketing and eventually becoming a VP of marketing uh, from some, so some global international company. So I was actually on the fast track for that and was excelling quite quickly in my career at a young age and then got very ill and was sidelined. And that illness literally changed the whole trajectory of my life. And what is that illness? Sorry. I have two. Um, I was diagnosed with a condition called FSGS, which is a very rare kidney disease. So I have lesions that were found on my kidneys through biopsy. And then in 2009, I was also diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a chronic pain disorder. So, yeah, it was kind of a one-two punch. And mm. when I took some time off work originally, I was told it was going to be a two-week break and they were going to run a couple blood tests and I should get some rest and that should help alleviate some of the chronic pain that I was experiencing, which was crippling at the time. And what was supposed to be two weeks ended up being almost two years. Jeez. So I spent a lot of time in the hospital for about a year. And it was on bed rest for the better part of that year as well. It's so at contrast with what you see on your page. If you were just to look at it superficially and go through the pictures, like your you, entire feed exudes like power, confidence, health. And then you have this incredibly vulnerable situation that you dealt with. And I'm just so curious in what other ways like it was transformative for you. Well, being a high performing athlete my entire life, um, being active and being able to move freely without any restriction to being stuck in a bed and having a difficult mm -hmm. walking five feet from there was very challenging. And I use challenging superficially. It, it was the most difficult thing I think I've ever been through. 
And then that physicality perspective also really caused issues for me mentally. So then it was like almost like a domino effect. So I ended up getting very depressed and then the depression also caused anxiety. And then the anxiety also caused insomnia. So there was like so many challenging um, parts to that whole experience for me. Mm -hmm. And now this, I'm just curious from uh, a very personal point of view because I have lupus and it took like that's autoimmune. Mm -hmm. And I know know, that three times. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it will fibromyalgia. Isn't that like autoimmune or do they not know? Yes. Okay. And I know how difficult it can be because I was very young. I was 22 and I got diagnosed and I was like, I'm an athlete. I was incredibly fit, really doing a lot to keep myself healthy. And then this hit me like a bus and it took so long to get diagnosed. And that process was excruciating because you're in and out of the hospital. You're dealing with doctors who are, you know, giving you so much and don't really have any answers for you. And I know that this kind of left you with a a sour experience or a sour taste in your mouth in regards to the medical field. So what happened with that? It got to a point where I didn't have a lot of trust with my treating physicians and you nailed it right on the head with the frustration. I remember vividly being told I was almost a hypochondriac and that Mm. I was making these things up in my head and I couldn't be feeling these sorts of pain and discomfort that I was feeling. I listened, I was patient I went through the gamut of pharmaceutical drugs that was given to me and took them because they're supposed to be the experts. But what I learned very quickly that there's, it's the same with lawyers as it is with anyone in medicine, that they're practicing medicine, they're practicing law. Nobody, none of them are experts. They don't really know. And because you're a former athlete, you probably have a very good understanding of your body. So, you Mm -hmm. know, right. I know my body inside and out. So I knew there was something wrong. Um, I eventually just had to stand up for myself and be an advocate for myself and say enough's enough. And I think that came because I had hit rock bottom. I didn't really have much else to lose at that point. I lost Mm -hmm. my fiance. I had pretty much lost my job. I had moved back in with my parents. Um, I'd become so socially removed from like my friends in the outside world. So it was that point I just said, you know what? I've tried everything. Let's find a workaround. Let me find alternative measures, alternative medicine, alternative practitioners that are going to attack this from a different angle that it hasn't been attacked from mm-hmm. before. And someone at, at the end of the day that's going to actually listen to me because I felt like nobody was really listening to me. They were just writing scripts to shut me the fuck up. And I felt like I was in a coma. I was like a shell of my former self. Like you probably wouldn't recognize me at all. And back then, you know, this was a decade ago. There wasn't a lot of talk openly on social about mental health and alternative therapies. Mm -hmm. There was no apps that acted as an aggregator where you can look for and build your own team of wellness experts. So I had to like you know, do this the old school, old fashioned way. And it was a very long process. And I had to interview tons of medical professionals and trust a lot of people. But yeah, I put together a pretty solid team of like nutritionists and Cairo and Reiki specialists. And I was, you know, naturopaths. And it took me two years to get back to a place where I felt like I was like functioning and close to my old self. 
We we just had a Reiki specialist on the podcast, and I always thought it was like a form of magic almost. That's just, <laughs> does it work? You know, depends on who you ask. I think at that point in time in my life, I was trying to believe in anything. Mm-hmm. And I think some, and that's, I think if you believe hard enough in something, you can make your mind think that something's working. Yeah. Plus, placebo effect is still yeah, real, right? Placebo effect is a yeah. real thing. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, people have asked me this question before, like, what do you think is a thing that actually, you know, really worked? What would you advise? And I was doing really so much all at the same time. So I can't really identify one thing. I think everything was working harmoniously. So Reiki may have been low on the totem pole of all the things that were really turning my life around, but changing my diet and practicing mindfulness and doing meditation and moving my body, which back then was really Tai Chi because I couldn't do anything else. Yeah. You under, you get me. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> no, especially being postpartum right now, my moving my body is going for a walk. Going for a walk makes me sweat. It makes me sore. And it's such a weird spot to be in. And it makes me depressed. Like I was running the other day and I came home almost in tears. So I'm like, Shane, I peed my pants a little bit. I feel so exhausted. And I could barely, I could barely get to a jogging pace. And it does impact you emotionally and mentally it's so hard these medical um not suspicions but you kind of questioning medical advice that was 10 years ago now that a decade removed from that and we're in such covid times where does your trust lie on that with medical professionals the same place it was same. 10 years ago wow. and it's just yeah i i just found this period of time very interesting and it's it's sad and also kind of an awakening that some of these bare basics that doctors are sharing right now are things that we should be doing already. But I take everything that medical professionals say kind of with a grain of salt. Not that I'm not encouraging anyone to be dismissive of their Mm -hmm. (laughs) their practicing (laughs) doctors. um, For me, I just kind of stick to what I know. I know I need to move my body. I know I need to eat healthy. I know I need to take supplements to boost my immune system. I know I need to wash my hands. Yeah. (laughs) You should. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Revolutionary. So, yeah, I just kind of like stick to the basics and try not to get overwhelmed by all the speculation, all Mm -hmm. the stats and things that they're sharing. How quarantined have you been living? Because, you know, I'm in so much fear because of Alex. So for me, my fear level is high because if Alex gets it, maybe she's kaput. I don't know. But I tend to err on the side of caution. How are you dealing with it? Are you living your life somewhat outside of your house? I feel like we're kind of it's like our prison or something, a joyful prison because we do enjoy each other's company. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there's been definite ebbs and flows during this. The first two months of COVID were extremely difficult and challenging for my mental health and just like dealing with anxiety and just feeling so withdrawn because I wasn't able to see my parents. My dad has an existing lung condition, so he's high risk. Um, So being a single mom and still having to work and then not having, you know, my nanny and a supporting cast help me at home and my parents live next door which was even more frustrating because I could literally see them from my window 
and to know that like they can't come in and and help me so that took me yeah first two to three months was like I was super anxious and then when we moved to phase two I it's like I have a lag it takes me a few weeks to catch up to like everyone else Mm -hmm. everyone was like excited to be out I was like no 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 I will stick to like my neighborhood walks Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of the person that still wears the mask outside. <laughs> now, um, I never really did like the group gatherings even mm-hmm. really over 10 unless it was my family and very, very close friends. I've remained in my bubble. And I just feel, you know, for my anxiety level and my mental health, I feel better that way for me and Maxwell. And I also mm-hmm. want to make sure that other people around me are safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I thought it was going to lean the other way. And, uh, you know, I'd be like, oh, geez, I really want to respect your opinion. But we're airing it so on the side of caution. And I, I do like the way you are mm-hmm. uh, going about that because I do think it's the right way to be cautious. Yeah. Um, Sasha, I, I just want to kind of revisit something you said before when you were going through your diagnosis and the transformation that you went through at that time, especially in regards to relationships, because I think there's so many different events in our life that can transform our relationships with other people, whether it's career change, health issues, something good that happens, anything. And did you end up repairing any of those relationships? Like, how did you know what to repair and what to just walk away from? I think the decision was quite easy because I was able, I, first of all, I journaled quite a bit. I didn't want to speak to anybody, but I was okay to speak to myself or to speak Mm -hmm. to the pages. So I was able to go back and look um, during the hardest moments when I couldn't really remember things. And there were people that, I don't want to get emotional. There are people that were consistent. They consistently showed up for me, no matter how many times I didn't open my front door when they did a drive-by pop-up visit or however many times they called and text and I never got back to them, they didn't give up on me. Where there were others that were probably always going to be fair-weather friends and I wouldn't have known that until this situation tested our friendship or our relationship. And um, yeah, it's made some of my friendships stronger and made the people that were probably supposed to leave, leave. And it was very tough when I had to and my engagement, which I ended maybe three months before our wedding day. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, I just didn't feel confident saying those vows in front of people, knowing that, you know, those vows are supposed to be in sickness and in health, right? That's one of the major parts of the vows. And I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I had that person there. So, yeah, it was tough and it was challenging, but it helped me weed through the people that needed to go. No, absolutely. And I I think that a lot of people can have the same reaction as those doctors you were talking about where they think, oh, you're hysterical. You don't know you're talking about. You're fine. You're hypochondriac. Because I don't know if it's that they don't like thinking about mortality or if they don't like hearing about other people's pain, if they just don't have patience. I don't know what it is, but some people definitely have that. And it, it is so hard to be around. But like so many times in your life from what I've seen from the outside um, as a follower and a fan of yours is that you tend to, you know, have moments of great success or like epiphanies when you get held down by something or you overcome something tough. Like I know you talked a lot about your miscarriage. We had one this time last year and 
it's it's tough. But through that, you know, I know you wrote a really popular post about it, and it still gets shared a ton. I read it uh, when I was going through mine. And do you think that this is an inherent quality that you have to try to take these negative experiences and turn them into teachable moments? A learned thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't always think that way. And I credit my parents for that. My dad, anytime I complained about anything, my dad would tell me to put my shoes on and we should go down to the hospital. This is obviously when it was saved. This was <laughs> many years ago. And you walk those halls and let me know if any of those people would open their mouth and have the same complaints that you have. Whatever thing that you have going on that you think is bad, they would trade to get out of that bed and trade lives with you in a heartbeat. So that's something that I think about whenever, you know, time gets tough. And I do understand that this is my life, but all these little things are just part of my blueprint Mm -hmm. and I have to live them and learn through them and grow through them. And I'm not going to see and understand or know immediately what it means but I and it's happened to me so many times now that I can I can trust in the process that at some point in time later on I'm going to understand the value of that experience and the miscarriage like I could name several things but you know it helped me be patient and it has helped form the mother that I am today because I'm so so grateful the whole like the whole process of being pregnant I'm not sure if I would have had that lens had I not had that awful experience and then I'm in this amazing job where I get to share my experiences which is cathartic for me but then it ends up helping so many people absolutely when you have so much success in sharing and having those teachable moments, do you ever get lost on where the line is if one even does exist and you're like, okay, here's something is too personal. Does that line exist for you? It does. And I think it exists when it involves somebody else's personal life, especially if it's somebody that doesn't live their life publicly. Mm -hmm. So an example would be my separation from Maxwell's father. I did speak about it but I spoke about it at, I would call like an arm's length. So I didn't go into very much detail, but I was, you know, honest about my hurt and how difficult the process had been and where I was and the direction I wanted to take and my goals and desires and hopes for us to co-parent. But there was no need to get into the nitty gritty of really what happened. Um, He's a very private person, so I have to respect that. But otherwise... (laughs) when it comes to just me or things that I'm going through as a parent with Maxwell, I'm pretty much an open book because I know if I'm feeling a certain way, there's somebody else that's feeling the same way and probably feeling isolated and alone. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to ask about parenting uh, styles because you, you mentioned early on about, you know, your parents maybe didn't push you in the way that it might be necessary to be a professional athlete. Like I, I read Andre Agassi's book and his parent, like his dad was so intense with him and uh, Serena and Venus's parent or father, so intense. So for me, I always wished my parents were intense with me, but they really didn't care about my basketball career at all. <laughs> and, um, you want what you don't have. Yeah. That is the so, thing though. So for you, like maybe if your parents pushed you, maybe you'd be a tennis star, but maybe you'd be unhappy. 
But now, learning from your parents, or maybe not learning, I don't know, how, what's your parenting style like with your children? I've been a parent for three years now, and nobody has yet asked me about my parenting style and my struggles. <laughs> the first time asked that. Oh, wow. Um, I feel like I do take a lot from my parents, and I think that I just can't help it being a double minority, being, a, being Black and being a female. I am just, I have to be driven. I have to work twice as hard as anybody else to even get in the door for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I am all about discipline and I wouldn't necessarily push her like Serena Venus's father may have, or Mr. Agassi did with Andre. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will not, I will want her to have some sort of, I don't know, infrastructure in place to help get, guide her. And yeah. so, um, she's not going to be running the show. We're pretty structured here now. She's only three. So she's got her phonics and reading time. We have 30 minutes for art and creation, which she gets to do while listening to jazz music. We really try to limit the screen That's time cool. around here, which is hard during COVID. Um, yeah. she has an hour day of outdoor time, which is park. And then also playing sports. She's learning to play soccer. She's showing an affinity mm-hmm. to tennis. I don't want to push her to continue in something that she doesn't like because I don't think she'll excel at it really, but I want her to find something. She needs something outside of hanging out with her friends. That's going to keep her focused. That's going to teach her about hard work. That's going to teach her about tenacity and perseverance and all the transferable skills, if you will, that I learned from playing tennis that I was able to take into the classroom and then also leverage that in the real world in corporate and what I'm doing now. Is it tough to limit the screen time when screen time is such an important part of what you do for a living or are you not on your phone as maybe it might appear to the general public who that's all they see is you when you're posting? That's a, okay. That's a loaded question. Yes. I'm on the phone more than most people because it's my job. Am I mindful of it? 100%. It is hard because I need her to give me breaks to do things like this mm-hmm. or to do yeah. stories, which you're going to see when you have a toddler. And it literally impossible to do that because they're screaming over your shoulder and throwing things. It's wild. <laughs> oh, we're living it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, she's getting a little bit more leeway with the screen time, but I've noticed things this happened this morning. Funny you ask, Emma, my assistant was here and we were just talking and on our laptops going over some emails. And I asked Maxwell, she wanted to come walk the dog this morning and she's got my old MacBook. So she sometimes, she wants to learn to type. So I said, did you want to come out and chase puddles? Nope. I'm busy. I'm working. (laughs) 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 This is a problem. And watching her navigate an iPhone at three is like wildly terrifying. She Mm -hmm. jump on Instagram and change filters and stories. And she like, she knows how to use the camera. So these are all things that I'm cognizant of. Mm -hmm. It does worry me, but I do understand that this is kind of just how the world is right now. 
No, it, it's hard. Well, because we're both working at home, right? Shane's working at home. I'm on mat leave, but I'm doing, you know, all of this from home. And Lucy, we have a two-year-old. She will get frustrated with us and she'll go, no, daddy, you go back and work. And yeah. she will like kick us out of the room and tell us to go back and work. And we're like, like, what's wrong? Like what, you know, and she just has such an understanding of things that I don't think she otherwise would have. And when I think about Maxwell, so your daughter, she is so exuberant and she is hilarious and adorable. Anytime she comes on your feed or in your stories, it's just like, it's fun, right? And I'm curious, how do you try to instill the qualities of, you know, confidence and bravery in your daughter at such a, a young age? Lots of things. And I had to kind of go above and beyond because I noticed that people around us kept giving her compliments that had to do with her appearance. Mm -hmm. And that really bothered me. And that started actually before she was born, because I, I think people fetishize mixed race children. So, mm -hmm. oh, you're going to have the most gorgeous kids. And like, I remember one girl saying, mixed children is God's Photoshop. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I've Jeez. always been very conscious to talk to her about how intelligent she is and witty she is and how like strong she is. That's like, that's the buzzword right now and how she's so proud about how strong she is. I'm also mindful of not critiquing myself. Like I'm human. I'm pretty confident in my skin as a 40 year old woman. I think I look great. You do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we all have off days and you know, my illness, sometimes I suffer from bloating too. So I look at my, but I, I really make an effort to not do any of that around Maxwell. We also practice a lot of affirmations. So she sees me, like I have affirmations all over the place. I have uh, self-care affirmation cards behind me. I have this whole mirror affirmations thing that I started a couple months ago. Um, so you follow me. So you probably know I drink a gallon of water every day. So I'm pissing all the time. We, we just hey, started. We start we just, yeah, that's where she got <laughs> Gallon gang. Amazing. <laughs> It feels amazing. Yeah. Where can I put these affirmations that I'm going to see all the time? Because writing it in my five minute journal or on a notepad desk side, I'm not always going to see it. So I started putting them on my mirror and lipstick. So Maxwell sees them too. So we read them in the morning. She also has her own affirmation deck. So she gets to choose a card every single morning and I read it to her and I leave it on her breakfast counter and we discuss it while she's having breakfast. So I'm trying to find little things every day like that. And then it incites just like a great little conversation and bonding moment for us. But yes, she knows she's fast. She knows she's strong. She knows she's smart and intelligent. And these are the messages that I try to shower her with as much as I can. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Like I find I'm, I cringe when people call Lucy pretty now. Mm -hmm. So, cause, cause we haven't called her pretty in a year and a half. Uh, so we just say she's so hardworking and if she comes out with something, the, my highest compliment is that looks so nice. So, yeah, I really do yeah. like that. No, and, and it's hard with little girls because like even the clothing, you know, I'm so cute or whatever it is, it, it is so different. And I think that people are being more mindful of it and doing a better job at, you know, shifting their perspective, hopefully. Okay, Sasha, we're just going to take a quick break to let our audience know that we are supported by Mumgree. Mumgree is a plant-based snack food company that uses only the good stuff. 
They offer delicious natural nut butters made in three variants, smooth peanut butter, chocolate peanut butter, and the first ever pistachio chocolate almond butter. Now, I'm no scientist, but does this have all the molecular, uh, I won't even say it, it has good <laughs> stuff in it though, right? It's got great stuff in it. For moms. They prioritize the dietary needs of moms throughout every stage of motherhood, pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. They're good for everyone, especially moms. And all the snacks are plant-based, low in sugar, high in protein, iron, and calcium, everything you need to stay healthy and nourished. And you got into this because you were lactose intolerant when you were breastfeeding, or the kid was, someone was lactose intolerant. The kids, both of them, when I was breastfeeding, and it was so hard to eat things that I liked. So I found Mumgree, and I have been snacking on it daily ever since. I personally, these days, have been just spooning it onto a plate and eating it with a banana. Yeah, sometimes I will just uh, spoon it into my mouth directly out of the jar. <laughs> That's how Lucy But no double, too. no double dipping. <laughs> no double dipping. But you can check out Mumgree at mumgree.com to redeem the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 and get 10% off all of your nut butters. This is available in Canada and the U.S. And I, like, think, it, I think the holidays are coming up. It makes for a pretty right? good stocking stuffer. Amazing stocking stuffer. Get them for everyone in your family. They will go nuts. Get it? No, it's over my head. So again, go to mumgree.com and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off. But we are also supported by... The Bear Home. The Bear Home makes all natural products that are safe for you, your home, and the planet. And it's not bear like rawr. It's bear like I'm naked. Exactly. They've got all-purpose cleaners, dish soap, hand soap, laundry detergent, and wool dryer balls which are beautiful to use in your home. Everything will smell so amazing. Our favorite scent of the bunch is the bergamot and lime, but everything smells so good and it is hard to choose. But they're all scented using 100% organic essential oils. And I know I said this for Mumgree, but this also makes a great Christmas gift. In fact, we bought our whole family the Bear Home products. <laughs> Sorry, did. mom. Luckily, she doesn't listen to the pot anyways. <laughs> the products come in glass bottles and you can buy convenient at-home refill boxes to keep yourself full up. Keep yourself full up? Keep yourself full up of the product. Filled up. I don't know. It all works. Ugh. But refilling reduces use of single-use plastics, which we all want to do. So if you want to shop biodegradable, Canadian-made cleaning products, go to thebearhome.ca and use promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. This is available in Canada and the U.S. Again, that is thebearhome.ca and thisfamilytree20. Let's get back to this great interview with Sasha. I know that with you and Max, you mentioned that, you know, people fetishizing mixed race babies, but that's not all that's happening. And you had one situation in the spring or the summer, and I remember following your story and reading it, and it was so emotional. Uh, and you were talking about somebody calling, I think Maxwell was with you, and I was hoping just to get clarity on that, but somebody calling you, you know, or terrible racial slur yeah wow and was that was that in front of maxwell the n-word yeah yeah that yeah oh my god i just literally got shivers mm -hmm. um yeah that was ironically the first week the end of last week of may i feel like right. it was the exact same week as the george floyd incident mm -hmm. yes and yes i was called that racial slur in front of maxwell and my mother yeah, in front of about 40 people. So this was when 
coffee shops and restaurants first open for phase two and you're able to get takeout. So we were just doing our morning walk with the dog. Mm -hmm. There was a lineup of people waiting outside Starbucks to go in and get coffee and also a lineup for the drive-through. And this one gentleman was blocking the driveway entry, which was also blocking the sidewalk. And I had a stroller and the dog and Maxwell happened to be walking beside the stroller. So I asked the gentleman if he could move up, he's blocking the sidewalk. And before I knew it, he was swearing and then told me I should walk on the road. And the road was a very busy, high traffic street. And it was also during rush hour. So as a mom, that was a non-negotiable for me. And I was obviously like, be blocking the sidewalk to begin with. There's pedestrians. And next thing I know, it went from zero to 100. And the N-word came out and the B-word came out. And it was quite the scene. And truthfully, I'm not so sure if I would have shared that at any other time in my life or any other time in my career in the social media space, but there was just so much going on at that time. Um, and the BL like black lives matter movement was just starting and having lived both in Canada and the U S I've seen both sides of the type of racism one can face. I feel like racism in the US is very in your face, aggressive, and it's not something that you can miss. It's very, you know, mm-hmm. in your face. Whereas in Canada, it still exists, but we're so polite about it. Like yeah. we're just polite as people. So sometimes, you know, racial slurs can be made and you almost have to be like, was that my my followers are primarily Canadian and we've gotten into conversations and they really didn't understand that race existed here at home. Yeah. So that was the catalyst for me to tie it in to share my personal story and anecdote as proof as to why it's still very much a thing here in Canada um, and to also humanize the topic because I think as Canadians, we watch a lot of American news and because we're distanced from it and we don't personally, maybe not, people don't know somebody there that has been affected by it. It just seems so hard to imagine it, but I felt like humanizing it and telling my own personal story would help people kind of understand a little bit better. Why do you think that man at the, not the height, but right before the height of the BLM, uh, even for self-preservation reasons, even if he was racist, why would he do that? Why would anyone do that knowing that there's so much consequence these days? That, like, that's extreme. Why do you think that they're still willing to do that? Ignorance. Um, people not being held accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, I mean, this was really the first week or two of the movement. So as we, as the months have gone by, I think people are checking themselves a lot more and thinking twice before they say and do things. But if this is something that is inherent in you and part of who you are intrinsically, that's not going to change overnight. No. And if you're that ignorant, you're not going to let seven days or 14 days of people in the BIPOC community speaking up to make you change the way you speak to other people. Yeah, I guess I'm too optimistic. I guess I thought, oh, now everyone's going <laughs> to change, you know. No one will ever do that again, I thought. Oh, well. 
<laughs> how'd you how'd you approach that with Maxwell? Did she know what was going on? Like she must have, you know, felt from your reaction. Yeah, well, kids like they pick up vibe yeah. energy. So she knew I was really upset. I was almost I was shaking sort of, and mm-hmm. like you could tell yeah. I was like on the brinks of crying. So she was tense and was one. I remember her asking my mom what was going on, and she sounded pretty scared. Yeah, but she doesn't know the n-word she doesn't know yeah. what that is um she just knows the gravity of the situation in the sense that something bad had happened mm-hmm. not nice to mommy yeah yeah that's no and that that's awful and that's heartbreaking and it you you hate that kids have to have those you know those moments at such a young age and that's obviously something that shane and i don't have to deal with but we can and, you know, any white listeners can understand that they can start making changes, you know, within their own families and by being anti-racist and making sure that they are exposing their kids to different things. That is like the key thing. And it's never too early to start exposing mm-hmm. your children to that. And, you know, I think things are changing now where things are a lot more accessible, Yeah, but, you know. You just kind of have to do a little bit of digging. Like I make the extra effort to look for shows on YouTube kids or on Netflix. Like we just found one actually recently. I don't remember the name of the show, but the lead character of the cartoon is a young black girl who happens to look very much like Maxwell. And she wears a doctor's uniform. She plays doctor every day on the show. It's super adorable. But I love that there are more things out there where Maxwell can see herself in. Mm-hmm. That's where it Absolutely. all comes down to because if you see it, you can believe it. And if you can mm-hmm. believe it, you can achieve it. Yep. Absolutely. And now, Sasha, okay, I, I might struggle with how to word this, but this summer, obviously, you had a lot of media attention on you because of a situation that happened following a post that you made asking people with big accounts to speak up about BLM and, you know, become active. And Jessica Mulrooney took offense to that. The two of you in private had discussion, which essentially culminated in her threatening or having had used connections to speak against you and say that she was treated unfairly. And now my question for you in that is, like, why do you think that she was so emboldened to do such a thing? And what toll did it take on you to go through this so publicly? I think I really don't even talk about this matter ever. I can imagine a lot of press have reached out for comment and it's not really something that I desire to speak about. It's done. Mm-hmm. And my feelings about the whole situation were actually verbalized in the video. I think it just boils down to privilege. And I truly, and I said this in the video, like I've known this woman for a very long time. She's not a racist. But she has been given many, many things and living isolated in a a very privileged situation doesn't lead her to kind of be open to what's going on in the real world and real experiences. So, and I feel like that's kind of why we were in that place to begin with, because she chose not to speak up about it because she didn't really think it was really an issue that needed to be spoken about. Mm -hmm. So that the whole beginning of it just, I think proves what I'm trying to say is just, it it just boils down to privilege. 
having to live through that publicly, I will say this, I never in a million years had predicted that outcome. Mm-hmm. Never. Um, would I change what I did? No. Was it a, a very difficult, scary, challenging time for me? 1000%. But at the end of the day, saying nothing and doing nothing was not an option. Yeah. And having raising a daughter who's half black I feel like I have even more responsibility to stand up and speak out. And I can't expect her to have the confidence to stand up for herself if I don't do it. I have to lead by example. And my decision was for Maxwell, yes, but it was also for all the other Maxwells and all the other young women. And not only black girls and black women, but all women. Because I want all women to have the confidence to to stand up for themselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you say you didn't predict that uh, reaction, do you mean the overwhelming amount of support you had, or the ramifications with uh, Jessica and her the career? Latter. Right. We live in a white world. <laughs> Never would I ever have thought that those things, those would be the consequences. Mm-hmm. I also did not imagine the enormity in terms of the media attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like this is Canada. Yeah. As you know how small the arts and fashion scene is. It's tiny, tiny. Totally. So if anything, I really just thought that it was going to be people in our industry that was going to give a shit about it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're following, like you would probably work so hard to get to the point you were at and have your following double essentially overnight in, in a strange way was that exciting to just double and now have such a larger platform just all of a sudden no no the opposite i became very anxious because where are all these people coming from are they following me for the right reasons or are they following to see some sort of continued drama play out which i obviously wasn't about um, I knew a lot of the people following were oppressed, looking for breadcrumbs because I wasn't speaking to any media. So, and because I wasn't doing that, anything that was in a story or a static post beat then became the news. I actually did not appear on Instagram, I think for, I think it took like a two or three week break completely. And the amount of, you know, the hacking attempts on my account and then the volume and traffic on my website that had kind of been semi-inactive. I hadn't been posting content on there, but mm-hmm. there was traffic that it basically crashed and I wasn't prepared for any of those things. So yes, it was overwhelming, but I did have a lot of support by my existing followers and strangers and people that I had just met through that space. So that was great but all in all no it was very wild experience to wake up one day and see those numbers climbing the way they were and as a whole where do you think we are where as a society we stand when it comes to black lives matter is it still at the forefront or is it tapered off and people going back to the regular lives business as usual 50 50 mm-hmm. i think that there are people that are 100% committed to continuing to push the needle forward, whether that's 
personally or businesses like professionally, people are really trying to make changes internally within their corporations. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a bunch of people, I wouldn't call them formative allies, but those that were walking the walk in the beginning and then lost the stamina, kind of just yeah. wanted to get back to, oh, I can't wait to get back to how things used to be. Those mm-hmm. people. And then those that just never really cared for the movement and really didn't participate Mm -hmm. or were any sort of ally to begin with. So I think we've come a long way, but we still have quite a ways to go. And I've said this very early on, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we need to do things in small pieces. We need to be realistic about the changes that we make because we want the changes that we make to stick. And I was saying this the other day on my stories, um, I'm in Shoppers Drug Mart quite a bit, but at the beginning of the month, I always make my way over to the newsstands, the magazine stands, take a quick glance on what's going on in the covers. And I think, I think it was like August is when things I started to really change. In October, I was so overwhelmed by the amount of women of color that were on, I I think one time I counted like 12 and I was like, I've never in my life seen this before, which is awesome and great and love to see it. But what is, what is it going to look like a year from now? Are we going to fizzle out and burn out? And once 2020 ends and everyone's welcoming the new year and hopefully getting back to where we were before COVID are all those other things that we've been practicing in 2020 going to fall by the wayside. Yeah. It'll be so nice when we're not counting faces on a magazine and it's just, that's how it is. We're not even thinking about it. Yeah. I know. And I I have to say, so um, in my day job, I'm a high school teacher and I teach in Hamilton at uh, an inner city school. We have a lot of immigrants from Syria and a lot of immigrants from East Africa. And it is so important, I think, for situations like yours, and I am so sorry that you had to obviously experience everything you did and in such a public lens, but for then those students to see that and who are struggling to find that representation and to see, you know, white people of power face consequences for their actions, I think is so important. And I know that that kind of story in the news is so helpful to them. But to continue, um, Sasha, what projects, because, you know, you have gone through so much publicly and you are still an incredibly hard worker and you have so much on your plate. So what do you have coming up? So I am very happy and excited to announce a launch of a co-designed bag with Ella Handbags. It's the first time I'm ever getting into the foray of designing something wild. It's like, it's been a few months of pinch me moments. So the bag launches on November 2nd and it has been a labor of love and I can't wait to put it out there, but I am very nervous. I hope everyone loves it as much as I do. You always <laughs> want, I feel like how movie producers or directors feel about their movie. They think it's, it's amazing. Baby. What yeah. is the audience going to think, right? Mm-hmm. So that is happening. I am also working very hard behind the scenes to create a non-for-profit. And I really, so many amazing things have happened to me throughout my life and also in the last year, but I want to, 
and I've been very vocal about things during this movement on social media, but I want to take it the next step. I want to take it a little bit further. I want to inspire. I want to help. I want to give back to my community off of Instagram. The posts are great and they help, you know, increase awareness, Mm -hmm. but I want to be able to bring something tangible to my community. So I'll be able to share a little bit more details with everyone later, but it does involve helping kids live their dream and help them get to the next level and live optimally, both at athletic wise and scholastically. So I'm super pumped about that. I'm also doing another design project. (laughs) Where where are you finding these hours? (laughs) Yeah. We're running out of time here, Sasha. (laughs) Like literally struggling. I can't share any more news on that, but that project's going to be big and it's been one of my top three dreams and it will be launching, I think in May or June, 2021. This is so exciting. It's so exciting. And honestly, it's making me exhausted to just think of having this many projects on the go. So I admire your tenacity because I that's something I need to work towards. But Sasha, for listeners who want to follow along, see what you have coming up and stay up to date on everything going on, where can they check you out? Where can they follow you? All that. Well, everyone can find me on Instagram. My handle is Sasha Exeter, the same handle as Twitter. Um, But also part of one of the things that I'm working on is a website rebrand. So previously people were able to find me at sosasha.com, which you can still for the meantime, but by year's end, you'll find me at sasha.exeter.com. That's great. Is there anything you're not working on right now? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I have my hands very, yeah, just a little. Seems that way. But Sasha, thank you so much for this conversation today. We really had a great time. It was worth the wait. I have to say that. Really? Yes, it was. Like a fine wine. But (laughs) (laughs) truly, thank you so much. And uh, we do appreciate your time today. And good luck with everything. Holy shit. All right. You have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Take care. (laughs) Bye, Sasha. Yeah. So that was Sasha. Shane, after so many months of trying to get her on this podcast, like really wanting to chat with her, I am so happy that we did. And she did not disappoint in the sense that she she was she was such an easy conversation. She is such a wonderful person. And like we said in the lead up, like she was just so gracious and she approaches everything with like a calm rationality. And I do love that she is she's a local. So makes it even more cool to me because she's like a local mom crush that I have. But let's get on to our interview with Topsy. Yes, let's do that. So Topsy is a mindset coach. She gets into toxic thought patterns, which, uh, you know, as we've talked about quite a bit, is something I suffer from. And I had to leave for a large portion of this interview. So I don't I didn't really announce that I was leaving because I had to help with Betty. So if you don't hear my voice, don't worry. Uh, I wasn't just being shy. I was just kind of out of there. But before we do get to this interview, let's let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, and ethically made sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. And it's like I'm very particular with clothes and there's one brand I only get for myself. I've become that way with my children. 
Yeah, 100%. We love Mini Biosh because they believe in quality over quantity and they just have the best basics ever for your littles. But like, if Lou's not wearing Mini Biosh, I think it's weird. I, <laughs> I know, I know. Especially if it's like for a nice occasion or a photo shoot. But they've just got the most fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft, comfy, and timeless. And they can be passed from child to child regardless of gender, age, whatever. And did I mention Christmas gifts? Christmas perfect all the little kitties in your lives their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes and they've got exciting news mini miyash has just launched their knit collection which includes organic merino wool upcycled polar fleece and sherpa fleece and they have also just relaunched their favorite fleece varsity and biker rompers which betty lives in everything just sounds so comfortable i know i want them in adult sizes mini miyash is on a mission to lead the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts you can find the company online at minimiyash.com or at minimiyash on instagram and facebook Use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off of your order. This is available in Canada and the U.S. So again, that is minimiash.com and thisfamilytree15. Yeah, so definitely pick that up. And it's very friendly for parents changing their child. Like oh, everything's so easy. But we are also supported by... My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. Wait, that's spelled B-R-E-S-T, right? Yes, it is. So for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals around the world to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants everywhere credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. And I have to personally attest this. A my breast friend pillow was given to me when I first had Lucy. And it really made the process so comfortable. And now if I don't use it, I get like... You know, I could pull a nerve in my arm or something. And if you're having an irritable day, I'm like, you didn't use my breast friend, did you? <laughs> like, no, I don't want to talk about it. It is simply the best, most the supportive. Breast? It's the breast, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase my breast friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. But let's get to our interview with mindset coach and all-around great guest, Topsy Vandenbosch. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hello. How are you Hi. today? Hi. <laughs> good. How are you guys doing? Oh, great. So yeah, yeah, we're so excited uh, to have you. We've wanted you for quite a while, and we, we were like, ah, is it going to happen? Is it not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so happy that it ended up working out. Hell yeah. Topsy. Thank you so much for being here today. As Shane said, we are so excited. So you are a mindset coach. Yeah. All right. And I like that you specialize in destroying toxic thought processes or th thought patterns. Yeah. What is a toxic thought pattern? I would say that's so funny. I've never been asked that question. It's a good question. I would define a toxic thought pattern as one that causes us distress, some type of distress, and it's impacting the way in which we show up in a particular facet of our lives, mm -hmm. whether it's with our families, whether it's with work, whether it's in um, relation to ourselves, whether it's with how we um, show up in our businesses. But I would say it's any thought pattern that you find to be destructive and disruptive 
perspective and affecting the way in which you feel about yourself and the way in which you interact with the world. So it, that's a pretty broad definition, but that's how I like to think of it because it looks different for different people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you think there's a difference between the way men and women have these thought patterns? You know, <laughs> I um, I have a background as being a clinical therapist as well. And I have worked with both men and women and all the other identities in between. And I would say that there isn't. Yeah. Um, men just have been socialized from my experience to express it differently, to handle it differently. Uh, you know, the whole like, you got to be tough, you can't be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole thing is actually a problem. I would also say that I think also that there are many men out there who have not been encouraged to really express how it is they feel. So if they're feeling disappointed about something, it's harder for them to say that. And it's easier to just say, I'm just pissed off. Mm -hmm. And so I see that narrative happening at times. I've seen it happen over and over again in my career. But I would say that both men and women and whatever gender identity that you um, identify as, like that's something that is going to come up. You're going to experience like toxic thought patterns. You're going to experience thought patterns that don't serve you. You're going to experience, you know, not feeling like you're enough Mm -hmm. in some way. And so, so, mm -hmm. sorry. So just to clarify, I guess, so men and women suffer from the same toxic thought patterns, but, but men have the better tools to deal with it just because that's how they were, how they were taught? No, no, I don't think that I would say that. I would say that they experience it the same way that any of us experience it. I would just say that they just maybe have not been socialized to express it in the way that we as women express it. So I don't think that it's that they have better tools. I just think that they have other ways of coping with it that may or may not be helpful for them. I hope that that makes sense. No, it does. It does. It's it's funny though, because then when I think about it, right, like I think of Shane might have the same toxic thought Mm -hmm. patterns as I do. Uh, However, he's so much more confident in doing things. And if somebody is more likely to give in to imposter syndrome to, Mm -hmm. well, what the hell am I even good at syndrome, then that's me. And he, Uh. he at least hides it better. So I'm trying to think like, you know, are we suffering equally him not Mm. being able to express these problems and me maybe expressing them too much but what are the most common toxic thoughts that you think (sighs) female entrepreneurs because I know you deal with like yeah pretty high income earners yeah I do I do and you know I want to also put this out there as well like toxic is very specific to how you would describe it Mm. so for some for one person they might find that imposter syndrome has just become this like black hole that they find it very difficult to come out of whereas someone else might just see it as like a pesky Mm -hmm. little bug, you know, like just a thought that's just irritating, but they're able to toss it to the side easier. So I don't believe that all thought patterns that are causing us distress are toxic. It's really just indic is really just more so in relation to how you view your thoughts and how they're affecting you. And so what was your question? I just wanted to make sure that I clarified that. The common ones, Mm -hmm. what are the common ones that I've seen? Oh my gosh, who am I to do that? I don't belong in that role. I haven't gotten or received enough training. I'm not good enough. What if I don't hit my sales goals? 
Mm-hmm. Next month, what does that mean about me? Not enough people um, were excited about my new program or my service or new offer that I came out with. They're tired of me talking about it. You know, people are just, I'm no different than anyone else. There's like so much that I think even those who are making seven figures in their business, they're not exempt from experiencing those moments of doubt and imposter syndrome. Because I believe that if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, it means you're being brave. Yeah. I truly means that it means that you are stepping out and doing something that goes against the grain. And that's just your discomfort speaking and wanting you to... You know, I like that. I like that. And that puts such a a positive and happy spin on something that, you know, I experience a lot. But my question is, my, my, something that I have a hard time trying to separate is how do you know it's imposter syndrome versus just thinking realistically and thinking rationally and thinking, oh, no, people don't like hearing me talk and talk and talk like how do you how, how do you differentiate that because I don't know in Topsy like I, I think about these things every day with it's my tough. own business and I don't know what to believe and what not to believe yeah no this is a really good question so I think when it comes to imposter syndrome and whether it's actually that or whether it's um you being very uh emotionally in tune and what what is it reading the room mm, self-aware <laughs> Self-aware, I would say, well, right, I just got done launching a program teaching online coaches how to um, use evidence-based coaching methods in their businesses. So rather than just using their intuition and life experience, which is great, that can also create huge disparities in who they're able to work with based on Mm -hmm. privilege and what they've been exposed to. So who's to say your life experience is going to be helpful for me as a Black woman in America, right? So anyways, that's the program I just got done launching. And I had a, a post on Instagram that it did really, really well. And it was about, there are many online coaches that they aren't just experiencing imposter syndrome, they are imposters. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, they don't have the skill set that they're pretending that they have. And in doing that, you end up harming people. So there's a huge difference between, you know, having the skill set, having the background and just being uncomfortable and, you know, trying to figure things out than just flat out not having any of the training, any of the knowledge. And you're thinking that you can just step into this role where people have worked so hard to be. Mm -hmm. And people don't like to talk about that. So I would say really pay attention to what your skill sets are. Um, what are you good at? If Is it a personality issue or is it that you are wanting to conform to the room? Because there's a huge difference between experiencing imposter syndrome because that means that you are actually qualified to be doing it. You're just nervous or feeling not enough and not being qualified at all and experiencing the associated emotions with being an imposter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, not, you're not ready yet and that's okay. You're not ready yet to be in that position. Get the training and get the experience and then let's try again. So I hope that that makes sense. I think that there is a difference between being self-aware and experiencing imposter syndrome. And I would say too, when it comes to self-awareness from my professional experience, that also can sometimes mean that there is this um, hyper anxiety or hyper focus on what you're doing wrong. Mm -hmm. So I would pay attention to that because if you're a person that tends to experience a lot of anxiety ridden thoughts and very self-conscious, Right. And just kind of always feeling like people don't want to hear you what hear what you have to say. People are annoyed by you. Then that's also going to get in the way of you being able to show up 
mm-hmm. and do powerful work in this world because you're paying way too much attention to what people are thinking. So what if someone thinks that you talk a lot? So, mm-hmm. so leave the room shit. Like it's really not that big of a deal, Unfollow. you know, yeah. unfollow. Like I talk a lot on my stories and there's some people that are like, oh, you know, your viewership goes down. Like the longer your stories are, I don't care. I got stuff to say. Yeah. So if you don't want to hear it, you can click out. No, that's that's amazing. And I, I have to say, so I was reading and following along when you were talking about, hey, you're not qualified to talk to people about this. You're a coach like you. You're overstepping your boundaries. And yeah. I thought that was so important because especially on Instagram, so many people and, you know, I'm involved a lot in the motherhood community. You have yeah. sleep specialists and, you know, maternal coaches and things like that. But then they are really getting involved in a lot of therapy. And you are, you said you were a certified therapist as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what is the difference between just a coach and a Mm -hmm. therapist? Because a lot of people blur the line. And for me looking in, it's, it's hard to distinguish the two. A degree. And <laughs> I hate to say, it, I like to keep it simple mm-hmm. as much as possible. But I would say with therapy, there needs to be a graduate studies degree. Yeah. Like generally, like in many nations all over the world, you need to have a higher sense of education. It's extensive education, extensive training, and you have to be licensed. And there's a board of, you know, there's a board of ethics, you know, that look over your license and just make sure that you're doing the right thing. That's like the biggest I would say that's the biggest difference. If people out there are getting confused and feeling like, oh, do I hire a therapist or a coach? Those are two different things. They serve two different needs. Mm -hmm. So with therapy, you are serving people who are experiencing symptoms that can be found within the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the DSM, and they have to meet certain criteria in order to have that diagnosis. And therapists or life people who are licensed in the health area are the only ones that are able to mm-hmm. use the DSM. So okay. coaches, what we are doing is we are helping people accomplish their goals, their future goals, and just like talking to them about what is preventing them from being able to reach their fullness and their potential. Mm-hmm. And so that's a completely different thing. We're not paying attention to, well, I want for coaches to know the difference and to know when their client needs to be referred to therapy. However, we are not focusing on what's causing their clinical anxiety, right? Like we're not focusing on what's causing their depression. So clinical, that's Mm -hmm. like the biggest word. It needs to be something that is diagnosable and causing them significant distress in five core areas of their life at the minimum, such as family, work, your relationship to yourself, that type of thing. So I hope that that makes sense. And coaching is an unregulated industry and it's a beautiful thing. It's been around for a long time. I believe it started with the sports world, sports coaches, and then it just kind of became a huge deal because you're helping people crush their blocks so that they can move forward in life. And Mm -hmm. so that's the easiest description of whether you need one or the other. How do I know if my anxiety is clinical or if Uh this is just normal day-to-day anxiety? Because I'm only in my head and I'm like, oh, this is bad. But maybe for Mm -hmm. other people, they just can handle it better than me. So I, I don't know. Like, when do I need help? Yeah. If you are wondering whether your anxiety is a problem, I would ask yourself, um, Is it preventing me from being able to show up fully in all the important areas of my life? Am I able to leave the house? Am I able to interact with friends? Am I able to be there and be present with my my family? Am I able to um, be my full self at work? Um, What are the, what's happening within my body? 
you know, is it debilitating? Like, am I shaking all the time? Am I constantly, um, am I just feeling very unrelaxed? Like constantly feeling like I can't catch my breath or am I experiencing panic attacks? So I would say, number one, go to your PCP, go to your primary care doctor, go to see a therapist, but then also just pay attention to what's happening. And is your anxiety affecting your ability to show up in all of those core areas of your life? And if your answer is yes, then that is definitely a huge sign that you should go and talk to someone and get that further teased out. Mm-hmm. Yes to all of them, because I would only answer yes to like maybe two out of those. Yeah. So if you only answered and I would still go to get I would still go to get uh, an overall answer because maybe it's not quite full blown, mm-hmm. you know, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, but it could be getting there to where okay. it's, and we don't want it to get to that point. So that could still be a really good way to go and get a handle on it. But I would say there's a difference between anxiety and just your worries because Mm -hmm. there's healthy anxiety, which is like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to miss, I don't know, am I going to miss the reservation for the, you know, the dinner I'm going to tonight? Like that's like, that's normal or like. Um, or here's another one, you know, you're waiting on a not so good diagnosis from a doctor. Mm-hmm. And in between times, you are experiencing huge anxiety, I would say, even though that could still be something to talk to your doctor about, that's still a normal, like anyone would have anxiety waiting to hear potentially good or bad news, right? That's super distressing. And I think that in society, we have also made certain emotions negative. I think anxiety can be a beautiful thing, whether you have it clinical disorder or not. I think that we can use it for our good as well, because it can motivate us. It can help us feel, you know, just aware of our surroundings. You know, I definitely feel a healthy sense of anxiety if I'm walking at night because I need to be vigilant. (laughs) I need to pay attention. So I think that regardless of whether you have a um, diagnosable anxiety disorder or you just are very, very hyper aware, it doesn't mean that you're doomed. It doesn't mean that, you know, you did anything wrong. It's just you responding to the environment around you and to some of the fears that you have mm-hmm. that have been lying underneath the surface. And it's just something to pay attention to. So, okay. Have you heard of the documentary series, The Vow? I have heard of it, okay, but so I have never watched it. It's just the finale was last night. It's on HBO. Ooh. We highly recommend it. But okay. this, you know, it brought to mind a lot of questions that I want to ask you because it is about a cult. And the leader of this cult was like he had all these people doing these coaching programs and it was for personal success, personal growth. Then he developed this like a sex trafficking cult. It was it was wild. And oh, wait. I, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Nexium. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. is. It's crazy. I know about Nexium. It's wild. Yes, it's. And I'm not I'm not saying that all of the not qualified coaches online are going to be leading sex cults but you never know (laughs) you never know but how do you tell a bullshit artist from somebody who actually has valuable information and can help you yeah um so if you're trying to choose a reputable coach somebody that's going to help you either in business or just in life. I think number one, like looking at their testimonials, looking at their backgrounds, like what have they done? What's their training? I think that people don't really ask that anymore because they feel like, well, you don't have to get trained because it's unregulated. And it's like, well, that's irresponsible because these are people's lives and you're fucking with their brains. Like (laughs) whether you like it or not, this is still a human being and you need to be trained. 
because how are you going to know if you cross a boundary? So I would say testimonials, where do they get their training? What's their background? And follow them. And do you like them? Do you like the way they speak? Do you like what they're talking about? You know, and pay attention to your intuition when it tells you that there's something, there's something off. There's not, there's something that's not right about this. Yeah. And it's not going to, it's not going to lead you wrong. The Nexium situation is definitely one of the most extreme ones I've seen, yeah. but I can see how it happens. I can see how it happens. Oh, God, oh yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We had one of the, the women, one of the main women on the podcast and it was so fascinating. Oh, that's yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. And she actually wow. is branded. Yeah. Uh, beside her vagina with oh, the I leaders. Oh, I know exactly who yes. you're talking about. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it was crazy. Gosh, crazy. But crazy. I, w- <laughs> I wanted to ask you about how do people typically find you? I was watching a documentary of Freakonomics. It's a book also. Uh-huh. And, it, and it was saying that your name, just your name, people will judge whether they can take you seriously. And yeah. A, and a name like Topsy, has that helped you or hurt you? Because it's very memorable. It's a very amazing name. It is memorable. Um, you know, that's, a, that's such a funny question. I would say that it depends on who the person is and probably what they view whether they're prejudiced or not like because that's a huge that's a huge thing right so Topsy Mm -hmm. is actually my nickname so I'm West African and so if somebody were to and I'm sure people have if someone were to say oh that's cute that's cute her name is Topsy and they dismissed me well that's what that's their own shit right Mm -hmm. like that's their own you know prejudice coming up that's their own discrimination coming up that's their own you know preconceived notions of what a likable name is and so I would say that it's helped me because people remember it. It's very hard to forget. And even if they mess it up, it, you know, it's something that it still stays at top of mind. It's like, tops, tops. Yeah. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to remember that next time. So I would say it's helped me because how many topsies are you going to meet in your life? You're the only Probably one I've met so far. <laughs> See? See? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I would say that it's helped me. I definitely mm-hmm. would say that it's helped me. I think that um, whatever makes us different, we need to embrace it because that's what people are searching for. Oh, absolutely. When I was just searching for your email, type in Topsy, and then all of our email correspondence comes where some people, it's like, Tom, I'm going through a million sure. Toms. Like, forget John. about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Now, Topsy, oh you mentioned uh, discrimination, right? And the fact that, you know, some people might not just want to get involved with somebody based on their name. Yeah. And I think especially in the fields when you get to therapy and coaching and yeah. psychology, there isn't a lot of representation. We're from Canada, and I know we mm-hmm. had um, an Indigenous rights activist on recently, and she talked about how Amazing. the fact there's not enough indigenous therapists so nobody can speak to the intergenerational trauma that indigenous peoples go through so mm. do you find that in the coaching world there's mm. enough representation and there's enough diversity to help people with the trauma they're facing yeah. this is super a super interesting question and i i actually have a little bit of a different perspective than mm-hmm. the i mean i definitely honor and validate her experience i think that that is so important something that i i this is what i've seen there, there are many of us out here. It's about us being amplified and elevated to be seen. I think that there are many people who have gotten used to taking the spotlight. They have gotten used to their rank and their status, mm-hmm. and they're afraid to let go of any of their white privilege in order for other people to be amplified and celebrated as well. Mm-hmm. So when people tell me, I don't know any black coaches, I tell them, you didn't look because I have 
thousands of black coaches that I follow. Mm -hmm. So go out and find them. So I think that there needs to be instead of non-black people of color, I think that in, in just in, in just white people, they need to be willing to search search for them and it's not going to be comfortable it's going to feel like I, I you know I feel bad that I have to do this but we are out here I know many people who are of an indigenous background who are coaches mm-hmm. right they're just not amplified and elevated the people that take up the most space are the ones that have the most money yeah. which are white people so that's just the way that it is unfortunately in the U.S. at this point and I'm hoping that it shifts but we are out here I think it's just a matter of people being willing to do the work mm-hmm. on their own and find them I felt like people after the murder of George Floyd they were willing to do the work and then it's on to mm-hmm. the next cause are people keeping up with the BLM movement is it tapering off like from your perspective what do you feel about that Um, I definitely have read research um, in my own community because all I can control is the community that I'm in. Um, That's definitely the interest has tapered off. People are um, just getting back to business as usual. Um, They are getting back to just the same old BS. And then um, uh, there was a study that just came out. I think the Pew, P-E-W research study um, that just came out. It's online, but they did a actual like randomized survey of American people as far as how they feel about Black Lives Matter and you know and it's gone down significantly Mm -hmm. they're just not quite as interested and I think they've become desensitized to hearing about it and so that urgency that there was this summer is gone and that's unfortunate because Mm -hmm. there are Black lives in the balance and Mm -hmm. it's just you know I can't walk away from my Black skin so I think it's just it's really sad. So, it's actually quite pitiful. No, <laughs> yeah. no I, I, I agree. Uh, and we, we see things like that happening in Canada too, right? We see yeah. the waves that comes with, yep. you know, a tragedy happening and then the support and then the downfall. And I want to ask you something because it, it's just on my mind right now from what you said. You were mentioning how, you know, the people in power, white people with money, you know, they should be amplifying the yeah. other the other people in their field. And now I, ha- I have a question in regards to a controversial person that okay. you worked with recently in the summer. So Jenna Kutcher, mm-hmm. and I know she's massively successful, you know, but she is one of the white gatekeepers of, you know, her, her field. And yeah. she, after the, or during the Black Lives Matter movement, got in, I don't even know what to call it. Like she had an issue, a very public, she was very publicly called out by a black entrepreneur named Twa Marie. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was just, I was so curious to hear your perspective on that and what you think of cancellation and associating with people that have mm. been embroiled in those kind of controversies. Um, the way I view it is my, I guess, you know, every, cause black, black people are not a monolith. And so we are all entitled to how we deal with mm-hmm. trauma. For me personally, I, I believe in redemption. I have had people say, you know, horrible things to me or about black people. And I still believe that they're worthy of redemption if they're willing. doesn't mean that I'll associate with them in the process, but I believe that they're worthy of redemption. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise I just think, what are we doing this for? But I understand other experiences. They just don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. So for me, I just tend to look at individual ability to own own their shit. And have you owned it? Are you making things right? Are you, you know, striving to become a better person than you were yesterday? Okay, I can work with that. Yeah. You know, Jenna is my girl. She is one of the best people I've ever met. 
she's just a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful person. She made, she made some mistakes and she's just doing her best to do the right thing now. And that's all that any of us can do. So yeah, cancellation. Um, I don't believe that any human being can actually be canceled. I think that behaviors should absolutely be canceled. Mm-hmm. I think it should be more about the behavior than the person. I think that, I mean, these are just my perspectives. Uh, yeah, I believe in canceling the behavior. Yeah. And I think I, um, and I, you know, I definitely have called people out, have called people into conversations, but it's always about the behavior, not mm. about the person and who they are. Because that doesn't define, you know, that's not the sum total of who they are, no matter what horrible thing they said, you know, or yeah. did. Yeah. So that's my philosophy. And when you come on like a podcast like this or do any sort of press and you're talking about mindset coaching and yeah. everything like that, and then the conversation inevitably it shifts to BLM. Is that for you? Is that a good thing? Or is it like, I would prefer just to like, let's just talk about what we're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think it just kind of depends on how it's brought up. If it's like the primary thing, I'm not an anti, I'm not an anti-racism educator. Um, I guess I'm an activist in my own way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it just kind of depends on the context of the conversation, but I'm definitely comfortable in speaking about just my personal experience, I think, but it just, it doesn't bother me to do that. I think it's just more so like, what's the what's the intention behind, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing it up? And do they just look at me as just like, you know, a person that can educate white people on, (laughs) you know, white privilege? Or are they interested in my professional expertise? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't bother me, I would say as a whole, it doesn't, I think it just really depends on what is the purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, what was the purpose of the conversation in the first place? So yeah, that's Mm kind of what I look at. Okay, Topsy, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that. We are supported by Tushy. Tushy makes bidets that you can install yourself in your bathroom for the cleanest butt you will have ever experienced. It's true. I've never been the same since. I'm more confident when I walk in a room now. Me too. Shane, can you even like truly... I don't smell you at all anymore. (laughs) That is disgusting and not what I was going to ask. But Shane, can you go to the bathroom anywhere else now? I try not to. Uh, We're here a lot of the time anyway, but I definitely, we do have three bathrooms. We're very blessed, but we tend to only use the one. Well, if we're doing a number two. If we're doing a number two. Tushy is so helpful in regular everyday life, but also if you're pregnant or postpartum and are dealing with pregnancy hemorrhoids, which suck, but again, it's just a fact of life. My only complaint is it doesn't really help me with number ones, but I feel like it helps you with them. With number ones? It doesn't. Oh, don't you squirt up there? No. I don't know how it works. No. Okay. No, just number twos. And it works so well with number twos, but Tushy we keep talking about Christmas, is an amazing gift for everyone in your life because everyone's got an ass. And so everyone deserves a tushy. Plus, they're only $79. And with our 10% off promo code, you can get a tushy bidet and a cleaner butt. So go to hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree for that 10% off. This is available in Canada and the US. Again, that is hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree. And, and I know I've said this before, Great Christmas gift. But we are also supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without sugar, alcohol, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Just saying Seedlip puts me in a relaxed mood. Doesn't it? 
I know. And as a non-drinker, it never feels great when, you know, the only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life or date night on a Saturday night on the couch life. Yeah, you get to be the cool guy. You get to be relaxed and maintain your intellectual acuity. (laughs) I would never be able to say that if I was hammered. It's true. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a variety of drink for every drinker. Crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals, each of Seedlip's three variants, Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a simple splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, like the ones that you'll find in their Seedlip cocktail book or on Instagram at seedlip underscore NA. So head over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and thisfamilytree10. Have I mentioned Christmas gifts? (laughs) But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the world's softest, butteriest, most comfortable nursing bras. You're making me hungry. (laughs) I wore mine even when I was done nursing my first child because it was just the most comfortable. So what is so exciting is that Bravado has just released their everyday collection. These bras have no clips, but the same amazing comfort for your boobs. You can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head over to the Canadian website for access to the everyday everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. So again, that is bravadodesigns.com for the nursing bras or ca.bravadodesigns.com for the everyday collection and thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. But if you want to go back to the interview, just do that right now. Let's get back to Topsy. I wanted to just get back to anxiety because that's a, something that plagued my life. And we have two ch- uh, small children, two girls. Yes. Uh, it, is it genetic? Like, are my girls going to inherit my anxiety or is it going to be something that I can exacerbate in them if I'm like yelling at them every time they do something wrong or something? <laughs> is that you know what you mean? Well, I was, I was yelled at a lot as a kid every time I did something wrong. And yeah. I don't know if my anxiety mm-hmm. was taught through my right. father yelling at me. Or if I was going to have it no matter what. Right. Right. I see. That's a really good question. I think that with um, anxiety, depression, yes, those things um, are science-based. And yes, it can be genetic. But what I also will say, too, is that it that's not it in a vacuum. There's so many other factors. In my world, we like to say um, biological, psychological, and social factors when it comes to anxiety, depression. There's a bunch of different things that influence whether or not a person It's not just this one thing that people can point to and say, yes, that's the reason why I am an anxious because just really humans by nature, we're anxious people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's just really hard to be able to point to one particular reason. And I think science is continuing to develop where we're continuing to find out about the brain and find out what happens. But I would just say, like, if you're a parent and you're you're doing your best, you're raising your kids, you're living your life, you struggle with anxiety, I wouldn't worry too much about whether or not you're going to pass that on to your kid. I think that it's a lot deeper than that. 
and it's not going to be because of one thing. And like you said, regardless, you just never know. We all struggle with anxiety in some way, whether it's actually debilitating or not. We're going to have a certain level of anxiety because life is tough. And so I really want to encourage parents not to be afraid of that because it's really easy to feel like everything you're doing, you're screwing up your kid. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. (laughs) The kids are so much more resilient than what we even realize, you know? They're just so resilient. No, I I, I think that is true, even though I'm going to continue stressing out about screwing them up with every little thing that we do. I get that. I I, I do. I don't think that's correct. So from, you know, your experience coaching and just from your own experience in life, do you think there's anything that we can be doing and we can be teaching to our girls or certain things we can be saying to our girls from their young age now that will help them? you know, deal with anxiety, deal with imposter syndrome, things like that when they're older? Yeah, I would just say just normalize feeling emotions, normalize the feeling of emotions, you know, like I have friends that say, Oh, my God, I felt like such a bad mom, because I was scared about this person, you know, I thought this person was following us, (laughs) or something like that. And my kid noticed that I was scared. And so then I felt bad, because I allowed my kid to see me scared. Mm -hmm. Things like that. I think that it's really important for us to do our best we're not going to be perfect, but to show our kids that ex- experiencing emotions, expressing emotions in a healthy way, expressing anger, no matter what it is, jealousy, envy, we are made and created to feel all of the feelings. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of how we cope with it. Mm-hmm. So just really normalizing talking about it. Oh, are you jealous of your classmate at school? Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about healthy ways to channel the jealousy. Yep. What if that means that you should be their friend? <laughs> Because you, you know, because there's something about them you admire. Mm -hmm. I really think of jealousy as admiration. It's Mm -hmm. just another way of admiring something or of something about someone. So I think that it's just important for us to normalize the feelings of all of the emotions because we're meant to experience all of it. So when you you, just about how we cope with it, when you work with adults and when you, you know, coach women in their business, do you find that the majority of their toxic thought comes from jealousy or fear because for me now that we're talking about it, I think that for me it's like jealousy and it's like oh man like this person is so good at this thing yeah um I would say so you're saying when it comes to toxic thoughts and when it comes to jealousy feeling like how would I describe that feeling of that person is so good at this thing how do you deal with that yes sorry I would say number one it probably means that you should hire them Um, because honestly, I just really think that it just speaks to something. It's a skill set or something that you want. Mm -hmm. Right. And so why isn't that available to you too? Yeah, it is. That person has it just learn from them. Mm -hmm. So channel that energy into good. Yeah, it can be good. And I believe that because if, if we experience the full spectrum of everything, how would, how powerful would it be when it comes to how we deal with it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If we, we need to learn how to deal with these emotions, no matter how uncomfortable. So if you're feeling jealousy or envy because of another person and how they show up, and then that probably means that there's something about them that you admire. Yep. And that's another way to look at it. Absolutely. Big I time. I feel like I admire a lot of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now, Topsy, I know you're a busy woman and you have a call that you need yeah. to do. Oh, okay. okay. So Topsy... How can people find you? Where can they follow along? 
Yes. So I am most active on Instagram at Topsy Vandenbosch, T-O-P-S-I-E-V-A-N-D-E-N-B-O-S-C-H. I should be the only Topsy on Instagram. Otherwise, I'm going to fight her. <laughs> and I'm just always twerking, having a good time on my stories, just loving life and teaching, you know, entrepreneurs how to crush their toxic thought patterns. So go and follow me on there. I also have I also have a freebie on the five boundaries you must have when you're struggling with imposter syndrome that I can send over to you guys for everyone to click on it and download. So um, it's a pretty good freebie. I must say so myself. That's great. So I, I would love, love to share that with your audience. Hell yeah. Topsy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you in advance for the freebie. Yes. And uh, we hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You guys too. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Bye Topsy. Have a good Bye, call. Guys. <laughs> yeah. There was Topsy. How do you feel? I feel great. I feel great. I love Topsy's energy. I love the advice that she has for us. And I, I really like where that conversation went because I do think that Topsy has such a valuable outlook on so many of the things that we discussed. And again, she just, she speaks with such empathy that it's impossible not to just totally sob and, you know, listen and connect with her. Yeah, she put me at ease. I loved her laugh. Yeah. She was yeah. she was so friendly and I, it really made me think I need a coach or some help but then i'm like is the going for the coach or getting the help is that going to take up my time which is going to exacerbate this is your dichotomy shane i think you do need a i think you need a psychologist yeah and then maybe a coach like down the line once you like get through like the hard stuff so we'll keep topsy in our phone book for after you you know you work through the real jumbly stuff in there yeah I'm I'm hoping I can somehow work it out on my own. That would be ideal. <laughs> no, that laughter doesn't signify that you're thinking it's possible. No, we should get help. But let thank you for the listeners for helping us out by asking us questions because this is the listener question portion. And I've really grown to like this segment because you do your research and you actually have some answers. So you've seen these questions. I have not. So anything that you I say, take it with a grain of salt. All right, so our first question tonight. Even though Jessica Mulrooney suffers from white privilege, do you think that she was treated fairly or unfairly? Do I, well, I think it was fair because, yeah. it, especially given the uh, timing, timing is so important. Mm -hmm. you, you, you would think, hey, even if I feel these things, to save my own butt, I'm not going to voice <laughs> voice these things, yeah. and there's consequences to things, and I think she's still doing pretty okay. So Yeah, yeah. So Jessica Mulrooney had a show that she had been working on called I Do Redo. It was like a home renovation show, and that got pulled, so wasn't able to go to air uh, in the wake of all of this with Sasha. And, you know, because of what was happening, we all, if we do come up from a place of white privilege... We had the opportunity during the initial outbreak of BLM in 2020 to sit down with our feelings and where we come from in our perceived notions of why things the way they are. And we have had a chance and we are still on that that is still ongoing that improvement, but we've had this chance to say, "Hey, like this is where I'm going wrong. This is why I have become so successful or had an easier road to success and while Jessica should have been reflecting on that she chose to totally use that to her advantage and possibly 
destroy the livelihood of Sasha. And it could have been much worse. Sasha has openly said on this podcast even that she doesn't feel like she's a racist. Yeah. But I, I think Jessica realized a lot of things and this just was ignorance and a total blind spot based on white privilege yeah yeah no and i i do think it was fair and i hope that you know it's been a road of learning for her since just like it is for so many of us so our next question do you have any tips for first-time parents so this is so hard because you don't know what somebody's situation is like but I think general tips do all first parents best. And it's just things that I would want you, like the question asker or my friends, to really have driven home. I would say to accept help and to ask for help. I know so many people, you know, you're prideful or you're embarrassed or whatever it is, but you don't want to ask people for help when you're in a new situation like parenthood. Parenthood is scary, especially when you're newly in it. It's terrifying, it's exhausting. It brings up, you know, new problems possibly between you and your partner because you're both experiencing this thing for the first time. So ask for help from the outside. And I know that's difficult right now during COVID, but if you have anybody in your immediate family that's like kind of bubbled off, you can possibly try to bubble with them like we've done with my parents. And, you know, just to say, hey, can you watch the baby while I shower? Even if it's just your spouse, say, hey, babe, like I need an hour to myself in the quiet where I can just sleep. Can you help me with this? And just voice what you need because it will help your relationship, your marriage, and it'll help you be a better mother or father the more that you can communicate. So I'd say the help, I would set boundaries. Make sure that you don't compare as much as you can. Don't compare yourself to other people in their pregnancies, their postpartum period, because it is so different for everybody. And even looking back at the two children I've had, my postpartum has been wildly different for each one. So I can't even compare those. Uh, And lastly, buy Medela nipple cream because it's the only thing that will help. I can guarantee you the natural stuff does not work in this situation. Medela. Medela. Not Medela. No, Medela. Shane, do you have any tips? Yeah, this is something we talked about very early on in our podcast. Don't get into the counting your spouse's hours, what they're doing, who's sleeping more. Oh, huge. So let's just say you're the mom listening right now and you didn't get any fucking sleep and your lazy ass stupid husband got all the sleep. Be thankful he got that sleep because now in the daytime, it's all on him. He's going to have the energy. He's going to have the shinier, happier disposition to go through all that daytime bullshit. You're going through the night hell. Let him go through the day hell and be happy that he's energized. Mm Because the only thing worse than you not getting a good night's sleep is both parents not getting a good night's sleep Mm -hmm. or whatever. Just resentment. Try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, I actually it's, it's interesting. I think that's such a good point. And it's funny because you and I, like Shane and I had worked out when we first had Lucy that I was just going to do all the nighttime feedings because breastfeeding was working out so well. I I really wanted that chance to bond with my baby and hold her all night and I couldn't sleep anyway because I was so, you know, just aware of what the baby was doing. So we weren't going to, like I wasn't going to pump milk and have Shane feed the baby. And that was just what was working for us. And then when he went back to work, it was, you know, the only solution because he needed to go out of the home and work for a day. And then I had help in and out of the house, you know, so I was able to get a little extra sleep and things. But I remember then 
being in a conversation with friends and hearing that their husbands were helping it with nighttime feedings, like they'd take turns. And I had a flash of kind of jealousy or resentment go through my brain. But it was just a flash because as it came in, I was like, oh, like Shane doesn't do that. Like what an asshole. I was like, hold on. No, this is why he doesn't do this. It wouldn't work for us. We would both be so much more unhappy if that's how we did it. And their situation isn't the same as ours, even a little bit. So it's so important and it will keep you so much happier just to, you know, focus on what you and your family is doing and and that's it. All right, the next question. Why do we say that men age like fine wines, but we don't say the same for women? Well, historically, since, you know, men are the ones that have held the power, they've kind of created these standards for beauty. So it's their standard of beauty that has become the norm, the accepted, and the ideal for women, which is one of youth. But for men, it's like they can get older because they set the rules. So I can guarantee you it was a man that first said, oh, men age like fine wines. And then that idea spread. And that has gone so far, I think, into our psyche as women as well. Because I do find older men attractive, 100%. I think it, I think it does have to do with maybe, like obviously a biological attraction. But then I think... The difference there, like the fact that we don't say that for women is because, and we've been talking about this a lot lately, Shane and I, and on my Instagram account, there's like such a fear and like, you know, people not wanting women to age and it's infected our own brains now and we don't want to age and we're scared of it and we think it's ugly and it's, it's this whole awful circle. Yeah. I don't, I don't like it at all, especially having the two daughters and Botox growing in popularity and you just did the post today where you were relating it to how some influencers they'll show their tummy and they'll be like here's my battle scars and it'll show stretch marks etc and then you look at their face and it's all Botoxed up and it's like okay the so the the shirt I can cover my my stretchy tummy with that that's fine to show on Instagram for the likes but my face is like not moving like a mannequin and that looks more aesthetically pleasing now or we're trained to think that is Mm -hmm. and that's okay so yes my battle scars my battle scars my tummy which i can cover with a shirt but my face which is out to the world needs to be perfect and uh, someone was making a comment on your instagram how it's different because one is fat phobia and one is falling into white patriarchal standards beauty and yeah, I, I do think that it is a little bit of a false equivalency, but just because it's not as bad doesn't mean it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And diet culture affects almost everyone, but aging affects absolutely everyone. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my daughter thinking she has to not look her age. Yeah. That's a To me, that's a terrible thing. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. And I, I don't get how it's like, I'm doing it for me. It's like, why? Because... You think you look better younger? You're well, 60, but you look 40? Good for thing. you. That's the thing. It's it's When we say we're doing it for ourselves, It's we're doing it for ourselves because it makes us feel good about ourselves. But we have to question why it makes it fe- us feel good about ourselves. And that's because we think we're looking better. And because we think we're looking better, we're feeling better. But it's like, who are we looking better to and who created these standards? And that is, is so difficult. And it's like now with women, you know, on one hand, I totally get it because I consider treatments and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I could just look so much more awake and alive. But 
it's it's not even awaken see now even right now i'm equating age with looking dead and i'm equating youth with looking well nothing's awake wrong and alive. with looking dead either because <laughs> you do look more dead because when you die you're at an older age and what's wrong with acknowledging that we die and we're going to die though <laughs> that's Honestly. too morbid for my thought right now and by the way i'm fine everyone do what you want to do and there's nothing wrong like it can be in some circumstances, though. But with being a hypocrite, everyone is a hypocrite. And there's all yeah. moments of hypocrisy. But acknowledging it and like, yeah, it is strange that I'm proud of my tummy wrinkles, but not my face wrinkles. Why does my face wrinkles mm-hmm. make me feel so ashamed, but my tummy wrinkles make me beam with pride and want yeah. to throw it out to the world? But yeah, ultimately, you know, I not only do I want women to feel like they're aging like fine wines but the more that this cosmetic injection culture seeps in it's like there ain't gonna be any fine lines on anybody so fine lines so nobody's going to be aging like a fine wine because nobody's gonna be aging at all so it makes me really want to fight against this uh, in a way and who knows what i'll feel like in five years but honestly right now i i I feel a crazy desire to fight against this because it pisses me off so much Oh, and by the way, I'm someone who's actively sought out a nose job. I feel like I look like a clown. I'm not Shane, proud Shane of my appearance. Shane flew to L.A. to get a nose job. Yeah, so whatever. I'm not, I'm not against someone wanting to do it, and I'm not against someone doing it. I'm against the idea that it is the ultimate standard of beauty, and I wish I didn't feel like I would look better with a smaller nose. Mm-hmm. It's, it, but it's like... I don't know. I feel like women like that better. And when I was out to do that, I was really in some weird way out for a wife because to me, love is so important. And I didn't think I could meet someone like you, who I consider very naturally beautiful, if I wasn't the same. You know, I've always told you this, Mm -hmm. but your nose is a part of your your handsomeness like it's a part of your character and it, it's like i know but that's not the point of it so the sexy. point I, of it I, is people can think certain things like you think yeah. that that's because it's part of my handsomeness but i'm i was conditioned to yeah. and i was made fun of this for my entire life to think it was bad mm-hmm. and i don't like it especially having the two girls because the aging thing is so so popular for women to not want yeah. to age and for me, it's a moot because I was never told that aging was a bad thing. Exactly. I was, exactly. You know, so for me, it's cool to age, right? Like, yeah. And, you know, I maybe I shouldn't be participating in this conversation, but I do feel like having the two girls gives me a mm-hmm. leg to stand on. No, I, and, and I do think perspective from both sides when welcomed is so important yeah so you know i appreciate that all right our next question should spouses support you could tell a lot of people that wrote in questions were thinking about the post i had today but should spouses support their partners if they want to alter their appearance in any way or try to talk them out of it so i think that if one person in a relationship wants to get something done wants to alter their appearance you know you should sit down with your partner and talk about the why and if you're the partner that is sitting there thinking like I don't want my partner to get plastic surgery or this injectable done it's so important to sit there and why and get to the real root of why the person wants to alter their appearance is it something that is truly truly making them unhappy or is it something that they feel they need to do to keep up and look beautiful and I think just figuring that out and discussing it 
you know, it's going to be different from person to person, couple to couple. But I just think trying to be as understanding as you can for the person who is considering doing something uh, and just being supportive of their choices, but also helping them basically just figure out the whys and getting right to the root of their desire. Yeah. As if you came to me and said, I want Botox, Mm -hmm. I'm fine if you want to do that do it great but Mm -hmm. what i want to do is make it abundantly clear that i don't find it to be attractive or find it to be a turn-on just so i can get that out of your head when it when it comes to men i think that and i even it's funny because i even saw um an ad i guess i've been searching a lot about botox lately in my research so i'm getting now botox ads and there was one that kind of hit on this but i think that as a woman it's like if somebody's getting Botox or filler and it's like they should it shouldn't be noticeable, they should just look, you know, what we perceive to be better and we shouldn't really know, oh my god, I could tell they got under eye filler. I could tell they got Botox. They just look, you know, more awake and more plump, more youthful. And it's like that's who men are typically attracted to and like you know, I don't, all, I don't think that's no, but, true. No, but here's the thing. You, you won't even know that somebody's gotten something done. You'll think they're attractive. And then I'm thinking in my head, okay, they've had this filler, this filler, this filler. They've had Botox here and they're 11s. I can tell. And I just know because I've seen images of them or video of them from, you know, before they had this done. So then it's like, you. I think that men don't even necessarily consciously realize that they're attracted to these injectables sometimes. And then it makes women like my age feel that they need to keep up and get these things just to keep up with like the baseline norm. I I want to age with you and I find something cool about that. Mm -hmm. No, so do I. So do I. And that's why I I do want to keep fighting against this. Uh, So well, yeah, yeah. whatever. The thing is do whatever you want to do, Alex, if you do want to do, I know you've considered it do it but i want you to know wholeheartedly i'm not bullshitting you to like and you know i'm not this type <laughs> no i know if i really wanted anything like you to get implants i'd be like hey why, why not you do that <laughs> that's the that's the onus is on the partner to say how they truly feel about it in case the the, the woman or the man is doing it to please their partner mm-hmm. you got to be so honest and brass tacked and convincing in in what you really feel yep absolutely All right, our next question. Again, is preventative Botox a thing? So as somebody who has never gotten this, I did a little bit of research because I have heard that thrown around a lot. And I got into a really good discussion with one of my friends today who said that she got Botox when she was 24. Uh, She is, she identifies as a fat person. And she said that she got Botox when she was 24 as a preventative measure to help her feel better about, you know, things that, are kind of out of her control, such as her weight. And while it did make her feel good temporarily, she eventually said, okay, like, why am I doing this? I'm 24. This is a lot of money. And, you know, it's just making me feel like I need more and more things. But I did research and preventative Botox is, it is a thing. So the toxin essentially numbs the muscles in your face, rendering them unable to make those repetitive motions that you make every day, which eventually form wrinkles. So if you are frowning lots in the day, whether it's, you know, cause you're thinking or you're at work or you're reading, whatever it is, you're going to get 
those lines in the middle of your forehead, like right by your eyebrows, the 11s, just because you're making that motion so repeatedly. If you raise your eyebrows a lot like I do, you're going to get the horizontal lines across your forehead. And I'm not really getting the 11s, but I have horizontal lines across my forehead that are always deepening. And it's because I'm an expressive talker. I'm an expressive person. I'm always making wacky faces. And that's why I can't lie because my face is always just moving and, you know, expressing exactly what's on my mind. Uh, So that does lead to wrinkles. So yeah, if you're going to numb those muscles, if you're going to render them unable to move, then you will not be contributing to the wrinkles that your face will eventually get. Uh, So really, it's up to you. Do you want to, like, if you're not a very expressive person in the way I am, then maybe it's totally moot and it doesn't matter at all to you. But yeah, preventative Botox is a thing. Wow. So there you go. Learn something. Next question. What role models would you like your girls to look up to? Do you want to start this one, Shane? Uh, Already, Lucy really looks up to Michael Jordan and Allen Iverson. (laughs) She's She knows they're... Is Allen Iverson the best role model? Well, I don't know. Just because he's made some mistakes, I think on the court, on he, the court, he proved to, that you can be yourself and not mm-hmm. change your uh, style and appearance and still succeed at a high level. Allen Iverson made huge waves yeah. by getting cornrows, tattoos back in the day. All that stuff, players had to cover their tattoos if they were in college. They would have to put tape over it. But then Iverson made it the norm, and now every player in the NBA proudly has tattoos and we don't even think about it he's always been unapologetically himself and Mm -hmm. for that i think is pretty cool yeah uh and for me i would say you know if i can tell lucy stories about my grandmother my babcha growing up and i think that i want lucy to also find my mom as a role model and while my babcha and my mom are obviously both flawed they're human they you know, do everything in their life with a lot of love, a lot of kindness. And just like Alan Iverson, they're very unapologetically themselves. And I just think that they are real life role models that Lucy can learn from every day. And obviously, you know, I, I hope that she can learn from me and I hope that I can be a role model for her as well. And this is where so much of this Botox conversation comes in and everything. And I really just hope that I can be an influential figure in her life that she can, you know, respect and look up to. Yeah, I hope the mom would be an influential <laughs> figure. No, but, but in a way where she's not like, you know, I know a lot of people growing up being like, oh, I don't want to be anything like my parents, but I hopefully... Oh, so you don't want her to think that way. <laughs> I hope that she can grow up Oh, the good way. Of- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, I hope I'm one of those role models too. And I don't mean like the bad role model. All right, the next question. You chose to partner with ethical companies, which is awesome. But I'm wondering how you feel about the ethics of using Uber Eats. So this was a great question. So all of the companies that partner with this podcast are ethical. A lot of them are sustainable. And we really feel strongly about that. But Shane and I talk about loving to order from Uber Eats and getting restaurant food delivered to our house. So I've heard rumblings about this, but I didn't know too much about the issue. I didn't know anything about it. So yeah, enlighten yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. So Uber Eats, uh, we get, I, I for sure we get it once a week, whether it's 
a date night thing or whether it's like a brunch on a Saturday. Every other time, it's typically delivery from the restaurant itself because it's usually pizza. Yeah, or Red Rockets wings. And I almost use Uber Eats just as like a colloquialism for like, if I say like, give me a Kleenex. Sometimes yeah. you're handing me a tissue that's not a Kleenex. But I'm like, let's get Uber Eats and then I'll order and Red Rockets. Delivery. So I am... I guess if we're going by the actual company, we are getting Uber Eats less than we made it seem on that yeah, episode. Yeah. But continue. Uh, however, Uber Eats would be considered unethical because they take a huge profit margin from the restaurants that they work with. So Uber Eats is actually the worst in the game out of all the food delivery services. They take 30% of the order fee as their commission for hooking the consumer up with the restaurant. Next in line, you have Skip the Dishes, which takes 20%. And if you have a DoorDash near town, they're the best option to go with because they only take 10% commission from oh, the that's restaurant. cool to know. Yeah. So Uber Eats, just say you order something and it's 100 bucks, right? The restaurant's going to deliver to you. Uber Eats is going to take $30. The restaurant's left with 70 However, you then have to think about the costs of the food, the costs of preparing the food, the costs of the rent that they're paying, their electricity, everything their employees so then how much is actually a profit margin it's often only in the single digits for restaurants so it's a really you know it's a tough business to be successful in yeah it's hard too because i used to back in the days when i was commuting to toronto i would take an uber home every mm-hmm. night and i would talk to these uber drivers you know asking those the standard questions you'd always say like how long have you been doing this yada yada mm-hmm. And a lot of them just talked about how Uber Eats was really helping them out and their family, and they wouldn't know what they'd do without Uber mm-hmm. and Uber Eats. Now, obviously, Uber's different than Uber Eats, but still, a lot of drivers said they preferred Uber Eats just because they didn't have to deal with the unruly customers, the drunk customers, et cetera. Yeah. So when I get it on the end of, yeah, it's not fair to the restaurant. But it does help so many people as like their main source of income. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these people I talked to, that was all they had. But yeah, I don't know if that's worth it because I guess just go to DoorDash or go to Skip and Mm -hmm. let's get Uber out of business. But how do I feel about doing something like that? It's like, I don't know if it's going to make me change my habits because I am such a flawed person and I do participate in so many potentially unethical things on a daily basis. Like mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll even if I let's just say McDonald's delivered and we'd order yeah. it. I'm reading nuggets. It's like, how are those chickens being treated? Are they in the cage? <laughs> are they farmed? I don't know. And sometimes I have willful ignorance and I'm yeah. like I was wearing Nike shoes today. Is Nike ethical? There you go. Yeah, I, I'm, wear, I'm wearing my MBA stuff all day, all Nike. So it's like I am a hypocrite and we try our best kind of, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of life's just easier this way. We have two kids. One day will be perfect when mm-hmm. things tone down a little bit. But as it is, we're kind of just scraping by. And if, yeah. if people are going to call us out on everything that we're doing bad, they're going to be calling <laughs> us out for quite a while. I so. Know. You know, and you want to call people like us out because we'll actually listen and and try. Yeah. So I understand why people will call us out more. But at the same time, give us a break. Not that this person is giving mm-hmm. us a hard time because I, no. I don't feel that. No. Yeah. But we, we are trying our best in so many regards. But this it is a super fascinating thing with uh, Uber Eats. And I do want to touch on this a little bit more. So I found a really good article and they were talking. It was a restaurant owner and he was talking to a reporter about 
Uber Eats because it's like, okay, if this is so bad for the restaurant industry, then why are you taking part in it? Why are you yeah, kind of feeding the Yeah, why not just go beast? to Skip or DoorDash? <laughs> well, here's the thing. So the restaurant owner said, okay, well, first off, there's marketing, right? You get somebody to order with this. You pay a big profit margin. And although they're only eating at home tonight, maybe next time they'll go and dine in and all the profit will be solely for the restaurant. So there's that. Second, when you've already paid your rent as a restaurant owner and your staff to be there on duty, an Uber Eats sale is what they call an incremental sale. So if overhead is already paid, then making and fulfilling that Uber Eats order is just, it's really kind of painless for them. And it's at the margin. So, so that basically just means they're not making money, but they're not losing money? Or they're it, making it minuscule? It costs so little to produce that even you know, Uber Eats taking 30% leaves a pretty healthy profit for them because everything's already kind of being covered. However, right now we're in COVID times, pandemic times. So these restaurants aren't making a lot from people coming in and sitting inside of them. But at least in Canada today, there are uh, a lot of substantial government subsidies that keep cost of staffing for these restaurants manageable. I'm not sure if that's still going on in November. So at least some restaurants are able to keep more staff available to fulfill delivery and curbside orders. Uh, but then for a lot of these restaurants, according to this one restaurant owner who is in Toronto, Uber Eats is kind of a lifeline right now. And it's the only thing, Uber Eats or whatever other delivery service, it's the only way that they can make anything. So they're just downsizing and doing what they can. And they're kind of saying some restaurants, of course, this person isn't speaking for all of them, but they're saying, thank God for Uber Eats. Otherwise, mm. we would not be making a single cent. That's so tricky because on it's one so hand, tricky. you want to say boycott Uber Eats because you think you're helping them. But then, uh, I don't know, tough pickle. And, uh, you know, these are good things to think about. But ultimately, it's like... Man, I wish I hadn't known this because now I'm like, do, do I get Uber Eats more or less? Like, what do I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I think the way there's a couple solutions. And I think one of those solutions is do restaurants in your town, like find out the restaurants that do delivery themselves. Find out, like ask the restaurant owner, reach out, especially if it's a small owned business. And I guess the presumption is that if you're on Uber Eats, that means that company isn't delivering personally. But I think in, in a lot of cases they are. So don't assume that because a company's on Uber Eats that they're not willing to deliver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So again, like check in with restaurants personally, see what they're doing. I think for us, you know, I will be more conscious of it, but I do still foresee us getting Uber Eats once a week because I know for sure St. James doesn't deliver their delicious breakfast sandwiches, but they do deliver through Uber Eats. Right. So we'll continue getting those probably. Well, maybe we just won't mention it on the podcast anymore. <laughs> but what else do we have, Alex? Alrighty. This is very enlightening. Sobriety for moms. As a sober mom, I'll be five years in December, it's different because moms love wine. Here's the thing. I think more than anything, moms love joking about wine. And I think that if you are, and again, this is from a person I've never been sober, I've never been an alcoholic, I've ever only ever... I, I don't know. I, I've been in the middle there. So I think that just as a person who's 30, the other people you're going to meet if they're not also sober are going to love talking about or socializing with alcohol. Moms, single women, whoever. And it's always going to be weird. And I think moms make crappy jokes about wine, but I think they're crappy, but they're still funny because it's kind of relatable even just in theory. 
And I think that even if you are sober, you can, you can get the joke behind it. Um, but yeah, I like, fuck it. I don't think moms actually care about wine that much. Do you, what do you, what do you think, Shane? Well, I think they do and they don't. I, I can, I liken it to the weather, whereas we all like good weather. Mm-hmm. But if you were an alien watching from an outside perspective and came to earth and be like, everyone's obsessed with the weather. Yeah. Cause it does, it is a good break the ice topic. It's not yeah. political. It's, yeah. and for moms, wine is a great thing to kind of joke about and just talk about. No, but I, I imagine that you'd be able to find like, a sober moms group and I, I think that if there isn't one in your city that might be a really great opportunity for you to start a new community and I think that would be so appreciated by people that are also in your situation if you find that the wine culture is so kind of all-encompassing I think a sober moms group would be an awesome idea like starting one might be a little intimidating but maybe you just seek one out that already exists I'm sure there's they're out there it's gotta be it's gotta yeah. be Next question. If you met Shane when he was an S-Trip ambassador, would he have had a shot with you? So first of all, I don't know if he would have, like, I don't know what Shane's MO was when he was an S-Trip ambassador. This is a hilarious question. So no, uh, I've only been on one trip that was S-Trip. That Do you was... want to explain what an S-Trip oh, okay. ambassador is? S-trip. You explain S-Trip. You were, the, you were it. Okay, so I won an MTV contest called S-Trip World Intern, which essentially made me a traveling like VJ slash liaison for S-Trip, which was the S stands for student trip. So the original plan was I was going to travel to about 30 countries for a week at a time and host all the kids and shoot shoot funny videos with them. And then MTV was going to air all my antics. But what ended up happening was I got hired at Much Music, which is the MTV of Canada, and then S-Trip got very upset with me because I'd won their contest but kind of flaked out on it to get a career job. And there was actually even a threat of like a lawsuit or something, but I didn't sign a contract, (laughs) so I was able to do it. Point is, that was my job. I had to wear a blue Mm. shirt, and I was hosting like bus tours and like drinking contests. Yeah, so I've only ever been on one S-trip, and that was to Montreal when I was in the 12th grade. And our S-trip guide, I guess, like, he'd be out there at the bar every night, like, pouring shots, and, you know, like, he'd get a free bottle. We're all paying for our booze. So, like, my friends and I would talk to him solely for the free drinks, but then if he ever like said anything, he probably wasn't even hitting on us. He was probably just being polite, I'd like to think, but... We just found him so creepy because at that age, I thought any guys that were like in their 20s and going after younger girls, there must have been something wrong with them that they couldn't get girls their own age. And I had this like real mindset. I was like, no, the only guys I am attracted to are guys my age. Exactly. And so I, I just totally wasn't into guys even a year older than me at that point. And I'm six years older than you. Yeah. So definitely no shot. Man, interesting. Mm-hmm. What, what other question do we have? All right. So the last question for the night. Can you please give me your top five baby essentials? I am trying so hard to prepare and I'm going to be a new mama here. So I've written down just a quick list of things. Get that Medela nipple cream. It's lanolin. It helps. Trust me. Take my word for it. Get yourself a Dockatot or a different kind of little infant carrier 
like sleep cot you don't want them sleeping in it at nighttime but for daytime supervised lounging and supervised naps it's perfect next get a carrier or a wrap baby wearing reduces crying by 40 percent, and it is so amazing it really helps you get your freedom as a new mom get that hello bello diaper rash cream because diaper rashes are the worst and shane and i have agreed that we like the hello bello diaper rash cream the best because it's the least like messy and get all the stuff for your stroller so like if you live in a place with four seasons like in canada get the stuff to keep your baby warm in the winter time for your stroller get the sunshade get the rain thing even get the mosquito net so that you can go out and enjoy yourself and get the hell out of the house especially since we're in the pandemic no matter what the time is in the year allow yourself to be dressed for any weather allow your baby to be ready for any kind of weather and just make sure that you can get outside every day because i do think it's so important for your well-being and get the merlin sleep suit merlin sleep suit is huge it works it's like a weighted type of thing that makes them feel like they're getting a warm hug all night Mm -hmm. and the babies really love it but is that it for the episode that's it baby All right, thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 62.